All right. So for those who are, are listening, I know this is uh, kind of a same day attempt to, to, to get a discussion going. Um, if you don't want to be doxxed or recorded, uh, please keep in mind that this is getting recorded and video recorded. Um, so if you want to come in and have a conversation, um, we can do that. Um, just raise your hand and I can I can add you in. What I'm looking for is really just a, an open Q&A having to do with, uh, with Christianity or any questions thereof, um, specifically geared towards uh, atheism and naturalism and, and things alike. But if, if uh, there's other religious views out there, other Christians want to get in and, and talk about something that's as well, the only rule that I'm going to be asking for is that it is uh, civil. Um, we try not to talk over each other. No cussing. This is going on my YouTube channel, so no cussing. That will be one of the fastest ways to get yourself removed. Um, no insults. Let's try to have a civil, great conversation. So I, I actually didn't have a topic. Um, so if anyone has any any questions or, or, or topics they would like to, to start with, uh, raise your hand and we can we can throw you in. John is, is, is in here with me. Uh, if anyone else would like to, to jump in and join, let me know. Oh, it looks like Flute Master. This is my first time doing this. So uh, I'm hoping I'm doing this right, how this is set up in here. Hey, um. Hey, Flute Master, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Did you have something you wanted to talk about? Yeah. Um, it was a question. Um, how long have you been a Christian? Uh, I have been a Christian for almost 21 years now. So just before my uh, my 20th birthday, uh, and I turned mm -hmm. I turned 41 this coming September. So uh, probably uh, probably I, I think it was in August before my 20th birthday. So in about in about a month, sometime sometime right around there, I've been uh, a Christian. Oh, that's cool. Um. What do you think is like the best thing about being a Christian? The bet well, that's a, a very good question. It depends on what you mean. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to say, uh, you know, the the obvious big big thing is, is that I am uh, redeemed and placed in proper relationship with the Creator of the entire universe. Um, that that's obviously um, a pretty a pretty winning thing about being a Christian. Um, so I, I don't know if you mean something on that grand and, and kind of obvious of a scale, or do you mean something more on like a what what what's one of the best kind of significant benefits to me personally besides that? Is that what, what you're going for? Yeah, like maybe and like would it be maybe doing miracles, um, manifesting or allowing the Holy Spirit to manifest, like. Different, I know, like different cool experiences like that, or yeah. reading the Bible, praying, you know. Um, I, I think honestly, so, so, I mean, I don't come from a very Pentecostal or charismatic background, so there's not a, there's not a huge emphasis on that, although um, that actually is one of my criticisms of my own background, is that uh, <laughs> the Frozen Chosen is, is actually a pretty apt name for it sometimes, because there's not a lot of emphasis on the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. Um, which I, I, I wish my tradition had more of. Um, I think on you know on, on, on that scale, that level, what you're asking about, I think one of the coolest things um, is actually some of the 
the uh, the fellowship and connection that I have with other believers, um, being able to pray with each other, being able to uh, study the word together, and some of the connection um, that that happens on, uh, at that level, um, and and the um, the the deep spiritual connection that you have in a very significant way uh, when when Christians do the Christian life together. And I don't mean just go to church together because there's a, there's actually a very, very Christian way to hide um, that, that really sincere relationship that can develop. Um, here, here I'm thinking of that, that really deep bond that develops between, uh, you know, you know, for, for me, a, a couple of guys or, or whatever it is that that's doing kind of discipleship together and are, Iron sharpens iron, and confessing our sins to each other, and bearing one another up, and and, and that type of thing. That that's a very meaningful part of the Christian life uh, to me. That is awesome. Okay, um, I just thought another question had just came in mind. Um, it's kind of an advice type of question. Um, so, long story short, um, I've been briefly getting into it with um either non-believers or believers when it comes to differences and doctrine like you know how we view the bible nothing crazy or anything like that i typically don't like arguing but i can find myself debating at times um, is it okay to debate with christians or is it you know like better to just not engage and let them believe what they want to believe because I try to gently correct them and be like, hey, you know, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but, you know, this is what it actually means when it says this, that, and the third. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, I mean, uh, I, I think this is the first time you and, ever, you and I have ever talked, but um, I actually... <laughs> I run a debate uh, YouTube channel, so I, you know, and and, and podcasts, and I engage um, pretty pretty frequently and pretty pretty uh, passionately in some debates about some things. I think it's very important to have some of these debates. I think there are some ideas that come into the Christian Church that are false. Um, I think sometimes um, they're 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 downright uh, problematic. Um, and can and can cause some some issues for the life of the church. Um, I think, however, that that in in that in that pursuit, we should try to always be loving and kind. Um, we should try to always understand each other's point of view. We should try, always try to understand the other view. So when we're engaging, we're not engaging with straw men or caricatures. Um, and part of that is understanding that our we're we're going to have a strong bias on certain things, um, and sometimes that that will color the way that we we understand certain passages and it can make us hard to understand other other positions and how they read it um so uh, my my uh you know podcast and, and youtube channel everything is really geared towards um uh engaging in some of those discussions and disagreements i'm actually a host of another youtube channel a lot of people don't know this uh, of another youtube channel and facebook group called sage stage and the entire point of Sage Stage is actually not really to debate, um, although some of that happens. Uh, rather, what we'll do, and, and we only have, I think, four episodes in so far on the YouTube channel, what we'll actually do is we'll go to some of these really contentious passages. Uh, a lot of times it's around soteriological topics like um, you know, salvation and election and you know, uh, reprobation and Romans 9 and all that kind of stuff. And rather than saying, well, this is the right view, that's the wrong view, or let me defend this view and, and you know, argue against that view, my, 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 my co-host and I, 
who come from different perspectives um, will actually go through and say, hey, what are what are the you know the the five, the five different views or the eight different views or the three different, whatever however many different views? Why do they hold that view? Why you know theologically what's the underpinning? What's some of the hermeneutical what you know uh, assumptions that they're bringing into the text and why is that okay? Um, and how do we better understand each other's view? And so if you're interested in that type of discussion that maybe isn't as um, uh, it doesn't lend itself to, to, to as much heat uh, as possible, you might want to check out uh, Sage Stage. Uh, it's rather new. There's not a lot of videos, but, you know, you know, subscribe and share. And, we, we, you know, we have a lot more content coming out. Yeah, I'm into um, Christian debates. I don't watch them a whole lot, but um, I know different channels like um, Apologia Studios. I don't know if we've ever heard of that channel, but um, I came across that channel and I've, you know, I ended up seeing that, or I ended up learning. I actually like Christian debates, so yeah, like when they're civil and you know the Christians like really spitting out you know facts and their understanding of the Bible. So I always thought it was a pretty cool thing to see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a, I think it's a great, a great thing. There's some, there's some really fantastic uh, YouTube channels and podcasts out there from, from all different perspectives uh, that are that are helpful uh, to listen to and. You know, some, sometimes as you learn and grow, your positional change, and that's okay. Um, but uh, you know, continue continue to glorify the Lord and, and grow in your understanding. Okay, cool. Do you believe the Holy Spirit speaks to you? Are you you know you think he's kind of like not really speaking? It depends on what you mean by speak. Um, so, I, coming from the the Reformed tradition that I come from, I'm going to say that God primarily speaks in His Word. Um, so speaks through his scripture. Um, that doesn't mean the spirit isn't speaking. It's just that the, the Holy Scripture is the means that the spirit is primarily using to speak to his church. Um, so I, I, I think that for, you know, when, when Christians are like, oh, I, you know, I'm not feeling the Holy Spirit speak to me. One of my biggest questions is, well, you know, what, what did you read today? <laughs> uh, a lot of times the Spirit is, is speaking to us through the Scriptures, primarily, especially uh, as we gather together. However, <clears throat> even though I'm not a charismatic, um, I, I do think that the Holy Spirit leads and guides and illuminates through our prayer, through the ministry of others. Um, so um, I, I don't think that there's necessarily new revelation, but I think that the Holy Spirit can illuminate the truth of, of Scripture and, and, of, and of his truth um, to us in the development of wisdom. Um, so it's not new revelation, but it may be new ways in, for us that Scripture and wisdom applies to us, and the Holy Spirit is really highlighting that in our lives. So uh, I, I definitely think... Um, that that can happen. I think the Holy Spirit, I, I mean, I've had occasions where, um, uh, you know, out, out and about and see someone and just felt led by the Spirit to pray for them. Um, and after having a conversation with them, the, it was very clear that the Holy Spirit um, was leading and guiding and prompting to pray for them and have a conversation with them, even if he's not, you know, revealing new truth or new revelation or something like that. So um, I think the Holy Spirit is very, very, very active in the daily life of, of, the, of the Christian uh, who is submitted to, to God and his word. Yeah, that is, uh, that's awesome. Um. I think this is going to be the last question, but um, what's the what supernatural experience have you had that you like found like the coolest or like or surprised you the most that kind of you were taken aback by like wow yeah like, you, you see what I mean yeah I do I do again um, you know I, I I don't I don't come from a strongly charismatic background. 
Um, but I have had some uh, some some experiences that that I um, that I can't explain otherwise. So um, the first one is is my conversion experience. Um, I actually uh, one of the few what I would call a religious experiences that I've ever had in my life. Um, and and the the night of my that that God called me home effectively. Um, real you know a, a, a very. Um, uh, a very strong religious experience. The the and it, and it went from a swing of feeling incredibly dirty and incredibly filthy um, and incredibly um, lost um, in 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 a far deeper way than it could ever feel. Um, crying out to God and then feeling uh, very warm and tingly and happy and and just an abundance of joy. Um, I didn't have the experience of just uncontrollable laughter uh, where where joy just bubbles over. I've met many Christians who have. That wasn't my experience, um, but I probably wasn't far off from that. It was just an incredible sense. There's just any Christian um, who's had this experience knows where um, it's just this incredibly undescribable sense of joy and love and happiness. Um, in a, in a profound sense, not happiness like I have a new car or my kids have a new toy type of happiness, just profound uh, joy and and the feeling of love in the moment. Uh, and so I had that at my conversion. Um, I, I had lots of um, I've had lots of other religious not not that type of religious experience, but other experiences where I've seen the Holy Spirit work in in certain areas. Uh, I've uh, I, I was able to witness um, uh, a healing. Once uh, I, again, I don't see it very often. I'm not out. I'm not one of those people that's out there, um, you know, on the street corner saying like that that people can heal every every single thing. Um, although I think the Holy Spirit does heal. Um, I you know I saw someone uh, who had one of those big uh, the big speakers that they have at like uh, like major concerts, like big stage outdoor concerts. One of those big uh, I don't know what they're called, monitors. I, I don't know what they're called. The big speakers fell on this person, this young man's foot. He was like in his teenagers, uh, teenage years. Um, the the initial I mean his foot was black and blue the initial report was like every bone in his foot was shattered um, they actually thought he might lose his foot um, they the, the everybody at uh, at the concert and everything prayed for it um, and then the next day it basically came back that all the bones had actually realigned it needed to be in a foot but all the bones had realigned they were actually and the doctors were like the like amazed all the bones they hadn't healed and fused back together but all the bones were in the exact place where they would want them to be put on a cast and, and they're like there's there shouldn't even be any problems with this foot that she should heal uh perfectly so um had some experiences like that which are just amazing um so yeah so uh you know and and, and then there's there's other little ones the atheists here will chalk it up as like coincidence and and all that kind of stuff but but lots of experiences where uh you know observing answered prayer through my life and the lives of others so yeah. That's awesome. That makes me smile. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate your answers. Absolutely. Thank you for thank you for asking. Uh, I don't okay. see any other any other hands up wanting to join in. Tone Loke, I see you in here. How are you? I don't know if you're able to talk. Oh, uh, what's up, brother? How you doing? What's up? How are you doing? Waiting, waiting for others to. Uh, you know, I see all the the people in the audience listening, waiting for others. If there's uh, questions uh, coming in. Oh, I, uh, there are a couple. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in. Uh, by the way, I'm I'm gonna bring in one at a time uh, to try to avoid the the overtalk that that's happening. Uh, that not that's happening. That can happen in these. So 
Um, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. One at a time is what we're going to do. All right. I don't know how to actually... Oh, Hello. There we go. Uh, and, and, and I'm here mainly for assistance needs, but other than that, I'll be muted the entire time unless you have a question for me or something. Cool, cool. Uh, Mike Ha, is that is Mikaja. Hey, Mikaja. Nice Sorry, I was trying to. That's fine. I get it every time. So <laughs> Hebrewize um, a little too much, I think. <laughs> yeah. So I I just posted a, a question in the question chat, but I'll go ahead and read it also. Okay. Uh, I say I, I ask something I've been struggling with lately is how personal personalizable practicing Christianity can be before it stops being Christianity. I've heard in this server that quote there aren't different types of christianity and that the different denominations are ultimately secondary but when i encounter different denominations often those issues are absolutist claims that everything revolves around like baptism or they're like directly contradictory to each other and i know it's kind of a loaded question but i'm curious in your opinion is it possible to read the bible and make my own judgments on it and that makes me a christian or is the community aspect fundamental to that? And if so, is there like a form of Christianity that you think is the one true Christianity, or is it all ultimately prescriptive onto that? Wow, that, that's a that's a fantastic question. <laughs> that's a really good question, really robust, and hits on uh, so many so many topics. Um, okay, uh, let me let me let me see if I can um, kind of zoom out and and I, I know I know it's a lot, so feel free to dissect no, that. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's it's a great, it's a really really good question, um, and I think I think you're absolutely right that the ex that when you're when you're going into these in, into different denominations, different churches. The experience, kind of the felt experience, will will be that these differences do make a difference and do matter, um, and and so I, you know, I think you're hitting on something that that is that is very important. But I'm gonna I'm gonna zoom back a little bit um, and try to answer kind of thirty thousand feet and then come in. Um, so I think that for someone to be a Christian. Uh, at the end of the day means that they are in Christ. Um, and some of these other denominational issues and theological issues, while they are important and they matter and they have outcome for how we live the Christian life, for how we think about God, for how we think about um, church and, and relationship with others, it, it's, it's not that theological distinctives don't matter. Um, and it's not even that, uh, you know, I, I hold certain theological views that I think are are true to the biblical text, whereas other ones I think aren't. Um, so it's not that they aren't true or false. It's not that they don't matter. It's just at the end of the day, the question is, is this person found in Christ? Have they repented of their sins? Have they been covered by the blood of Jesus? Uh, and are they living a life for God? Whatever that means in that moment, right? You can always do like, oh, well, you know, what did the thief in the cross do to live for God in his, you know, brief moment since, you know, from his conversion? Because Jesus said today you'll be, you'll be with me in paradise, right? Um, what, what does that look like? So I think that is going to be the fundamental question. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know where you are at with that. Have, I mean, do, are, are you a Christian in that sense? Well, I think that's kind of what I've been trying to figure out over the past, like, year or two or so. Because yeah. I've been really trying to kind of understand my personal spirituality and where that falls. Right. I would definitely consider myself culturally Christian. 
Okay. My parents are Christian. A lot of my friends are Christian, and I think I'm very uh, supportive of the Christian idea. Right. But I, what I've encountered is pretty much everywhere I go, I have people of different denominations saying, you know, that something that I believe in is wrong, or that something someone else says is wrong, or something that, you know, another denomination is wrong, or that I, you must do this, you must do that. And it, it's kind of, it's hard to swim through that. Yeah, that 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 is. It can be. It can be very. It can be very difficult. Um, the the thing that I say. How do I how do I answer this? I don't think that they're entirely wrong, right? There are certain things where I I think you know if you're if you're living a Christian life or if you're trying to follow Christ. Um, yeah, th- there's a certain level where I want to say. Um, you know, <laughs> you just get on the road and start going, uh, and and wherever that road begins, that's fine. You just go from where you're at. I remember um, uh, a professor of mine, um, and, and and he was talking about sanctification, right? The the being made more like Christ. And sometimes people think like, oh, well, we know that when it comes to like pride or it comes to, you know, trusting our identity in Christ, we understand that sanctification is a long, lifelong process. But he pointed out, he said, you know, sometimes we look at people who are, say, alcoholics or addicted to pornography or something like that. And we think, well, if you were a true Christian, boom, tomorrow you'd be over it. Right. And he's like, well, I mean, if if that's a besetting sin for that person, right, like pride is for others, why would we expect them to stop struggling with it instantly? Why would, I mean, that might be something, you know, it may be the process of sanctification that that person is submitting their life to Christ and they still have struggles and they still fail sometimes and repent. And maybe they just watch pornography less and less and less as it goes, right? Because they still struggle and they're still going through this process of sanctification just like we all are with whatever sin that we're experiencing. So, right, so, so the, the, the question becomes, you know, when, when you're looking to your relationship with Christ, has someone repented and, and basically said, look, I, you know, I, I, I want to live my life in a way that's honoring to God, in a way that's, that's submitting to Christ and trusting in the Spirit, and I'm going to grow in that in the way it goes. And I think that happens theologically as well, right? So I don't expect someone who, who places their faith in Christ to, you know, yesterday to be able to completely understand or even understand it all like the hypostatic union or or the aseity of God or, you know, like like that's the type of thing, honestly, where I'm going to look at someone and I'm going to say, you know what, don't even worry about that right now. Like you'll get there. Do you love and trust Jesus Christ as your savior? Um, that do, do you understand that 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 prior to him and outside of him that you've lived a life um of, of what the Bible calls a high hand to God, right? That doesn't mean that someone's an alcoholic or like everyone has these crazy testimonies that I was a, you know, I was a drug dealing, murdering, gang banging, whatever, like prior to me. not, I mean, like before I became a Christian, I was like, I, I didn't, I barely even drank. Like it doesn't mean I didn't have a bunch of sin, but I don't have some crazy testimony or anything like that. Um, so, so, so that, that, that progression I, I would say is look, Jesus is is the lover of your soul and and are you are you studying his word and are you are you you know trying to get to know him better 
Um, and that's that that's where it's at. At the end of the day, if, if someone says, hey, I, I've repented of my sin, I've trusted in Jesus Christ, uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say okay, I may not have I may not have assurance that someone actually is a Christian uh, deep down, but that's not for me to judge. That's not my that's not where my place is at. There's nothing that's really contradictory to there yet. Um, I you know, but but I'm not called to have assurance of everyone else's salvation. I'm called to have assurance of my own salvation, um, and and help people through that. And Jude talks about you know helping those who doubt. Um, you know, we, the, so so I, I, I just think it's far more of a sliding scale. But now kind of zooming in, I know I've talked a lot and, and I'll let you jump back. No, in. You're, you're, you're doing great. I think you've made a lot of good points. Um, you know, go, going back to the, the the theology question, a lot of people will experience this. And I've experienced this where as I've grown in my understanding of the Bible and understanding of Scripture and some of my theological positions have changed. That meant that I, you know what, at the end of the day, I might need to go to another church that I feel more comfortable in. I think I think most churches, honestly, unless they're very fundamentalistic or or very very um, very very specific, um, most churches are fine. Kind of holding, a, a, you know, some of these views that are not essential, and, and you know that that's fine. Um, I actually go to a church where you know I'm I believe that infant baptism is a sacrament. There are people who believe you know it's believers only baptism. I go to a church that does both. <laughs> Based on, you know, they kind of say, hey, based on theological convictions, um, you know, we have some pastors on staff who, who have the conviction of infant baptism and they'll they'll baptize an infant. We have some that don't have that conviction, have believers baptism. They'll they'll do they'll do baby dedication. And we're not going to separate over really these secondary uh, these secondary issues. Um, but as you go, you know, at the end of the day, if you say, hey, you know what, maybe, maybe I maybe I changed my conviction about singing hymns or singing worship songs or maybe i changed my convictions about like the last person was asking about what what it looks like to experience the holy spirit maybe you go from more pentecostal to less pentecostal or vice versa and that might make certain churches not feel like at home for you and 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 the goal is to go from if if you have to change to leave with peace and to leave, you know, and to protect the peace and the purity of the church that you're at to leave on good terms you're not burning bridges and honestly, most Christians who have been Christians, I think, for long enough, understand that, um, and, and and will send you off in peace. So, I, if you're at a, I would say my my final thing I would say is that if you're at a church where it really feels like they don't respect the journey, like they expect you to go from wherever you're at to like the Apostle Paul overnight, you're you're. Pr- I would say that's probably not a sign that it's the most healthy of churches, anyways. Um, so I, I don't know if that, that helps answer, if you had any follow-up questions from that. No, that did. I do have follow-up questions. Yeah, there, absolutely. That's okay. yeah. So my, my first one, I'll also just admit, I know is a loaded question, but I'm, I'm just <laughs> genuinely fine. curious. Yeah. It's not, I'm not trying to be argumentative. Sure. But I'm curious where it, like if someone lives, quote unquote, a life of God, mm-hmm. but they don't, they either are choosing not to or don't know the Christ figure what what is their standing with God you know like if 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 it's actions that decide basically you know your your right or wrong standing then but, but why does the veneration of Christ seem to be as important as it is or is or is the perspective simply that this is the gold standard 
Um, I'm, I'm not sure I understand your question. So do you, when you said that actions, um, you know, the right or wrong determine the standing and what did you mean by that? Well, I, I, I thought this is what you were getting at earlier. I may have misunderstood you, but it seems as if that there, there seems to be a, you know, moral obligation, a, a, a mm-hmm. right way to, to live, you know, without sin. Well, I mean, we, I guess, right. in the Christian point of view, we are all sinful, but, but the, the strive that you were talking about is, you know, slide that into betterment as you go. And I think, I mean, I, I have the utmost respect for Christians and Christianity, but it seems that an individual could make those same moves to identify sin as a harmful thing and identify that it's a bad thing for them and move past that without Jesus or without the Bible. So I'm wondering why why is that important uh, in God's eyes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think I got you. Um, So uh, you've hit on, I I may be a little, I'm going to try to not be long winded because there are some other, there are the the people going. What I'm, what I'm very um, passionate about when I talk to uh, people who are either asking questions about the Christian faith or they're considering it or Christians who have been Christians for a short period of time or a long period of time um, is, that, is that the gospel, the good news about Jesus just is that it's a message of grace. Um, it just is that your behavior is not actually the thing that that makes God happy or not, right? So, so it's not that. So, I understand your question. Why, why do I need this Jesus thing? Can't someone just be kind of a secular person and and still live a good life and 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 try to get rid of quote unquote sin, things that are harmful to themselves or to others, and and kind of live the the Socratic, the good life. Right? Why? Why? Why does Jesus? Why does Jesus matter? Um, here, here's okay. The gospel is the message that first and foremost, we are sinful. We do live a life of sin, and and sin in the Christian message, it really means either a violation of God's law, a, a want of conformity. To God's law, so 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 it's not just like, hey, don't murder, right? If you murder, that's actually just an express violation. There's also called what's want of conformity. It means maybe I'm not out there murdering and killing and lying and stealing and all that kind of stuff, but I'm still not living up to. I'm still not. I'm still not at kind of the high water mark of the holiness of God. I still am lacking in holiness and righteousness. Um, so, so there, there's that, and that's kind of this want of conformity. I'm, I'm not actually living up. So, so that those are those kind of different concepts of, of, of different ways that, that we are sinful. And it's one of the reasons why the Christian actually thinks that everything we do is sinful, right? Even when I help a little old lady across the street, right? That might have what we call civic virtue, where I have kind of this horizontal goodness, Right, but it's not enough to bring me into good standing with God. I, I, I the, the, the chasm is too big. I've done, I, there's too much sin there. 
And so the, the good news of Jesus is that Jesus came and in his active and passive obedience, he did both of those things on our behalf. So he, he, he forgave our, our violations uh, so that we are no longer trespassers. We are no longer violators. Uh, we're no longer in bad standing. But that he's also given us his active obedience. We are no longer, if we're in Christ, we're no longer in want of conformity. We've actually been kind of trued up um, to God. It doesn't mean that you're going to be without sin. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It just means when God looks at us, he looks at us in Christ and in the beloved, and so we can be we can be reconciled. The important thing actually is is what I think follows from that. And that is when you when you look at the, the Christian story, whatever you think is happening in gen, in the early chapters of Genesis, right? I try not to get into the evolution creation debates. Whatever you think is happening there, when you get to Adam and Eve and they sin, they hide. What I think is one of the most beautiful things about the Christian life is that in Christ, we don't have to hide anymore. We, we don't have to think, I am, I, I've done something so wrong that I have to hide from God. I have to hide from others. I, I have to you know, keep all these secrets and all these burdens. There, there's, a really, there's a really strong reason why Jesus says, you know, come to me, you know, lay your burden upon me. My yoke is easy. He still has a yoke. There's still, we still have obligations, but it's easy. And anyone who's had an experience of, of, of coming out of a life of hiding where they repent, they confess their sins, they confess to each other, they, they finally have this feeling of walking in the light and being themselves and not having to hide, even though there might be some pretty strong natural consequences. There might be, you might have jail time, you might have broken relationships there's this like unburdening that happens when you get to walk in the light when you don't have to hide anymore and you don't have to hide from God and you can be you can be honest with God and there there are times with the Christian life where you can say God like I'm so mad at you like I, I have prayer times where I tell God I'm mad at him and I don't think that's a bad thing because I'm expressing I'm mad I'm mad at you because I'm struggling and I don't understand I don't know what's happening and I have the freedom now I'm not an enemy of God. I don't have to hide. I'm a child of God. And I can, I can just like my children can come to me and say, Dad, I don't like that this happened. I don't understand why you did it. You know, I, 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 I'm, it hurt my feelings. I'm really mad about it. Now, as a broken father, I might not always have done right by my children. I try to. But our Heavenly Father is perfect. And it, it, and that, but there's that, that dialogue. There's that give and take. We don't have to hide. Um, and so I, I, I think in Christ, that, that bridge, that image where it says that Christ is the true image of God, when we know Christ, we see the love of the Father for us. Um, so it's not just about living the Socratic good life. It's about living our true selves as image bearers of God in relationship to God, kind of in a, in, in a right alignment with how God created us to live this life with him. So that was a very long answer. I'm not sure if it, it kind of got to the point. No, no that answered it perfectly. I've actually been reading a lot of Socrates lately, so that ties in very well with, um, with, with what I understand about living a good so yeah, I think, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely, and I and I think and I, you know I'll give credit to Tim Keller. I ripped this off expressly from Tim Keller. Um, is that um, uh, in Christ, right? Whatever it is we're going through 
if it's if it's sin or hurt or trouble or job or or just honestly a lot of us i think struggle with just our lives are boring and mundane and normal and you know we're constantly fed like you're special and you should be a rock star and a millionaire and like you have the american dream and all this and so we really struggle that our lives are very mundane <laughs> and maybe we're paid you know hourly rates and maybe you know or maybe we're not working and you know we have all these very mundane whatever it is that we're going through looking to Christ shows us when we see God loved us so much that 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 he sent his only son to die in our place to die a brutal death thousands of years before I even existed because he loved me what you know when I go to God and I say I'm so mad at you I can understand that that's a failure on my part that I'm having a hard time understanding because whatever the reason is it cannot be that God doesn't love me Right? Whatever, whatever's happening, the reason cannot be that God doesn't love me because when I see God's love in Christ, I know that God loves me, even if I don't know why, even if I don't understand the reasons, right? Uh, to, to rip off a, to, you know, another book, I don't remember the author's name, fantastic. It's actually a kid's book. I highly recommend to everyone. It's one of the best books I think ever written, and it's a kid's book. The moon is always round. Even when you can't see all of the moon or there's an eclipse or it's just a sliver, the moon's always round, even if we can't see it all. And in looking in Christ, we understand that even if we don't understand all the purposes, even if we don't understand all the reasons, even if we don't know the outcome, even if we have no idea what the hell God is doing in our lives, we can always know the moon is always round. We can always know that God is good um, and that God loves us. Um, And so that's part of what Christ does for us. Right, and I have I have one quick last question sure. that sh- shouldn't take nearly as long to, to ask or to answer, is does the same apply to the non-Christians? Mm-hmm. If, if all humans are made, you know, in, in God's image, will, will the people that either choose not to be Christian or the people that have never been exposed to it, do they have the same ultimate contempt with god or is or they considered different um depending on what you mean by the question i i have a hard time answering this question not because i have a hard time understanding the gospel is ever for everyone not because i you know not because i don't think god doesn't love everyone or anything like that but because i just don't know who those people are so the what what i what i have to go on is what the scripture tells me I can make inferences about other things. I can know, I, I do know that God loves everyone. I, I do know um, that, that, that there is hope for everyone. I do know that the gospel is for everyone, even though I'm a Calvinist, which, you know, other people ask specific questions about that. What I am told in the scripture is that every single person bear, is an image, is a God-imaged created, creation. Right. This this I think is actually one of the beautiful parts of Genesis, and why I, I get so kind of tired of the creation evolution debates because they focus I think on the wrong things. The beautiful thing when you look at the account in Genesis that differs from really all the other creation accounts is that the human element of it, we are not an afterthought. We are not created as menial labor to just serve the gods. Right? In, the, in the ancient world when this was written, the only humans who were in the image of God was Pharaoh, right? the king. That was the person who was in the image of God. All the other humans were not. That's why humans didn't have that much value in those systems. Um, in the Christian system, we are all image 
bearers. We all are in the image of God. We all have infinite value. Um, we all are meant to be in right relationship with God. And sin, it always breaks that and always has us hide from God. What the outcome for that will be for each person, I'm not sure. But what I can say is that the gospel, I can, I can share the gospel and the good news for everyone and call every single person to repent, to love God, to live their true identity out of hiding in Christ because that's the purpose for everyone. That's what we're made for. Um, and so uh, so I, I think that that, that that gives hope to everybody, even if I'm not sure what the kind of the destiny and outcome is for, for specific individuals. Right. Well, I, I could talk to you probably all night, but I'll definitely let someone else to come in here and ask a question as well. Thank you very much for answering my questions. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. Uh, Minute Militia. I hope you're still there. I, I, by the yeah, way, if, if, if you all line up and are waiting, I'm, I'm gonna, again, we're bringing these in one, one by one so that we can uh, not not have over talk. Um, right, got, got Milk is coming up next. <laughs> but uh, Minute Militia, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Um, I'll just give a little context on where I'm at so that you understand my question a little sure, bit. Sure, absolutely. It's kind of, I think it's weird for Christians. I've been asking people a lot recently. So I'm definitely... Um, I don't know, like a Christian would say, you know, like they, they, they feel the presence of God or something like this. And I recognize that there's something, you know, like that. Um, but I'm very new to Christianity and understanding it in general. Um, and so this, that's where this question comes from is essentially it could be very ignorant and there could be an easy answer to this, which would just be, you know, snap of the fingers in and out of here. Um, but that's where this comes from. So the question is, uh, I guess you could say, how do Christians and non-Christians, like, how should we interact? Mm -hmm. um, and specifically, what I mean by that is, you know, there there are people who, including myself, who generally looks at things as like, there are people who are my friends, and there are people who are enemies, and there are people that are like in the middle. If I, in the eyes of a Christian, I'm not going to be saved, right? Like, how do we then interface? Because their frame intercepts with mine. We see like, mm -hmm. for example, abortion, I would agree with, you know, the vast majority of Christians on it, absolutely. And so there's crossover in our frames, yeah. but there's it's not a total crossover. It's a Venn diagram. Right. So how are we supposed to interface with that? It's a very good question. I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> and I appreciate that, 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 that Venn diagram analogy. I think that's true. Um, that that, that uh, in some ways, at, a, at some levels, there's lots of common ground and there's lots of overlap, right? Um, I think in other ways... Um, there's no common ground. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that kind of at the level of worldview, for, for the Christian, um, let, me, let me try to explain it this way. For the Christian, when I, when I say that, that, um, that, I, that I understand something in reality, Right. So I understand, say, creation or I understand what my, you know, mm -hmm. as a parent, what I should um, how I should love my children, for example. My worldview, again, if if I'm being consistent, which I'm not because I'm sinful and broken and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. I understand myself as a father. Um, as a as a created being in God's creation, so so. Everything that I do should be in reference to God as creator, right? And me as creature, 
right? So, so everything should have this really like implicit creator creature distinction that colors the way that I think about things. So, so I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that we agree on abortion. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I, some of my favorite pro-life advocates are actually uh, like Jen Roth is one of them. She's a, she's mm-hmm. actually a secular atheist. She's part of, I think it's atheist, uh, against abortion or secular pro-life or yeah, I've seen stuff by her, before. something like that. She's fantastic. I, I mean, her, her work is spectacular. Um, where, and, and someone like Peter Kreeft, who's a Catholic philosopher, he actually makes his entire case on secular grounds, even though he's a Catholic, you know, philosophy professor. Um, so there's lots of overlap at kind of that level. But at the same time, at like at a more fundamental level, the Christian's going to look at something like abortion and we're going to say, even though methodologically to, to make arguments when I'm engaging with, you know, secular, uh, you know, pro-abortionists, for example, I'm not probably going to bring up God that much because I think that will divert the conversation and derail the conversation. But at a fundamental level, I understand. And part of my conviction for my position is precisely because I think all humans are made in the image of God from conception. And I think all humans are knit together in their mother's room, that God is intimately involved in that. I think his, you know, his, his law shows us that, they're, that, that, that we ought not harm children in the womb, for example, and so on and so forth. Right, so there's going to be a deeper level where even though we agree at one level, we don't agree on another level. Mm-hmm. The question that I think you're getting at is Can how— Can I pause you for one stick? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, I want to say that I, I, you're the one of the first Christians who I've ever heard— Not that it's not out there. You, you pointed out the Catholic philosopher. This is why I'm looking into Christianity is because I do respect it initially, and so I wanted to learn about it thinking maybe I'm accidentally a Christian and just don't understand it, you know, because <laughs> of however I was raised. Um, but second, that I realized I couldn't interface with Christians, and so I needed to understand their Bible to be able to actually talk to them about those issues. Mm-hmm. And you understand it in the inverse, that you can make secular arguments to actually interface with people that don't respect, in quotes, God. And um, so I really appreciate that, you know, going into the other people's frame, I think, is something that needs to happen more often. I, I, I agree. And I think... Uh... I think Paul does this very well when you look through the books of, you know, book of Acts and we look at how he evangelizes when he goes to, you know, when he when he's evangelizing to the Jews, um, he evangelizes them from the Old Testament, uh, from the Hebrew Bible, from their scriptures. Part of that's because, you know, he hasn't written in some of those instances all of the New Testament <laughs> canon yet. Uh, but but part of that is he's just being missional. He's just he's being all things to all people. When he talks to the Gentiles, he mm-hmm. knows, you know, their their specific, uh, you know, th- their, their specific worldview and theology. He talks about, you know, the God of Mars Hill and and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think what what. I have a so part of part of my background is I, I actually was an unbeliever until I was almost twenty years old, um, mm-hmm. and so I, I kind of have a <laughs> I'm not entirely part of the Christian subculture, um, and there are there are some really downsides to that to be honest, but there are some upsides to that, um, and part of that is I, I look at like the culture wars that happen in Christianity, uh, and mm-hmm. I think that the American and the and the Western evangelical church has largely lost the culture wars <laughs> because we made very very terrible tactical decisions, um, mm-hmm. and we went after rather than following Paul and being missional, and being uh, and and being gospel first. We tried to be transformational and we tried to say we're going to win the culture by forcing certain policy issues. So so we went after it by trying to basically make people be conservative first and then Christian second. 
Um, and I think that that's just a, a completely backwards way um, that the church went around, went about the culture wars. I, I'm not even sure they should have been in culture wars to begin with. Um, so, so that that's gonna be that's gonna be part of it. Let me give you a concrete example of what I mean when um, when we're engaging. I don't mean that we shouldn't have debates. I've been in debates with Matt Dillahunty and Tom Jump. I've been in debates with abortion. I think we can have robust debates. Easily. But kind of in the down of the brass tacks in the day-to-day life, an issue for me that stands out is, is homosexuality and gay marriage, right? Look, you're in a fine kindred spirits here. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I, I have a very strong conviction that is very clear in the Bible that homosexual behavior is a sin flat out. There's no question about it. I don't, I don't understand how anyone reading the Bible can come away thinking, you, you might think the Bible is not correct on this, but I don't see how you can come away thinking that the Bible affirms that certain view of human sexuality. Yeah, I don't mean to interject here, but I just have a quick question for you, Tyler. Um, what do you think about this advancement recently and these people trying to convey this message that the Bible really doesn't condemn homosexuality per se. Like they'll point out the verses about a man, <laughs> a man lying with a woman, uh, a man can't lie with a man yeah. and such and such. And then they'll try to make this kind of secular argument that it's not really condemning homosexuality. You you know what I'm referring to, right? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. I mean, there, there are some, what is that about in your view? Yeah. So I, I think first of all, Romans one, I think is very clear uh, that it doesn't, it, a lot of those attempts are trying to get rid of Old Testament passages that deal with it, but they almost always ignore Romans 1, which is a very clear normative passage around it. Um, and when they say things like that, right, they'll try to write it off as, oh, this is talking about pederasty. Uh, it's talking about temple prostitution. Um, it's talking about um, there, there's, there's, there, there was a practice of the, uh, of the day where kind of a power move, it had nothing to do with sexual orientation, but when like a powerful king would, would, uh, would conquer a less than powerful king, they would sodomize that king as an attempt to show power over another. That actually did happen. Um, so they'll try to say that's what the, these Old Testament laws are talking about. Or they'll do the, hey, you know, the Old Testament law, right? You don't wear, you know, you don't eat shellfish and you don't wear clothes of mixed clothes. Why do you think that this one's the case, right? Which which to me shows kind of a, a shallow grasp of what the covenant was, what the law was, and what Christian, what Christ had done to the law. Um, because while it's the case that Christ has fulfilled the law, it's not the case that kind of the moral underpinnings, the the general equity of the of the legal code has gone away. So there's a lot there's a lot happening. I think that those types of attempts are just failed. But let me go back to the to the kind of that that the social question that uh, that militia is asking. So I so I think that's very clear. I think that that Christians have done two terrible things. The first one is we've tried to win the debate by by um, I, I I don't have a problem with legislating morality. I think it's weird to say you don't legislate morality since I mean <laughs> exactly we legislate I, I, morality exactly. left and white right. Uh, but it is in a certain sense where you might try to legislate dogma that can be a problem. So I think that the the church spending, I, I, you know, I think I, I don't remember exactly what, when it was in California, the early 2000s, when Prop 8 was on the ballot. Uh, Christians in, in California and supported by others uh, spent about I, I want to say it was like 300 million dollars in support of Proposition 8, which is a, which was an attempt to to block gay marriage. Tactically, to me, that just seems like a terrible decision. 
right? Rather than spend, right? We we don't we don't rally all those types of resources and do all that kind of stuff to help child homelessness, to help disease, to help poverty, right? Which are, by the way, in the Bible, we are expressly called. God, God expressly says that he would not like any, that there should be no poor in the land. We are expressly called for true religion to care for orphan and widows, right? There are lots of things that we're expressed. We're not expressly called to transform the civic government <laughs> to, to ban gay marriage, right? So tactically, I have an issue with that. What that also, I think, did was was kind of just um, add more, more, more heat, more, more smoke than heat. Um, and, and what I think it did was cause a, a huge rift. And so um, I, I remember, you know, I had a, a gay couple that, that had adopted a child. They, were, they lived across the way from us. One of them was going uh, through chemo treatments, right? Mm-hmm. They had said that they had so many poor exam- interactions with Christians that they didn't even want to talk. They knew we were Christians. They didn't even want to talk to us about it. They were so surprised when we, when, when we found out that, that we brought them food we organized a meal train for them um offered you know to to watch you know a lot a lot of christians are gonna feel oh you know you shouldn't be able to adopt children whatever your view i don't care that that's two people who are really struggling um and so we offered you know child care for them and 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 to pay for daycare when they needed it and to help right we just we just interacted them uh, on a on a human level and a care for people who are struggling for things um and and the ability to have that those conversations they didn't become christian or anything but the ability to have those types of conversations so de-escalated a bunch of their feelings of, towards Christianity and the church um, in really meaningful ways. Um, so, I, so I always tell uh, you know Christians that 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 if that if your church, you know, if if kind of the if if what you view as the untouchables aren't entirely welcome with open arms at the church, then I'm not sure that Jesus is really welcome at your church. Right, because Jesus just went to the untouchables. He just loved the untouchables and lived with the untouchables to the point where the religious people were like, uh, "You shouldn't really be associating with those people." Um, and he and and his entire thing was, "Well, you know, I, I I came to you know to to heal the sick. If you guys aren't sick, great, do your own thing. But that's not really for me. I'm here to heal the sick and the broken and set captives free." Um, and so when, when, uh, you know, when, when, when I go to a church and I see maybe they're not believers, maybe they are, maybe they're struggling, maybe they're getting counseling. I don't know what the stage is cause I'm visiting, whatever it is. I see transgender people. I see homosexuals. I see people, you know, who are, who are sick, all that kind of stuff. And they are welcomed and loved at church. That to me is when, is when the gospel is being proclaimed, um, in action, right? It always should be proclaimed in word. Um, it always should be proclaimed in, in word and sacrament. But it needs to be accompanied. That's that, James. Uh, it needs to be accompanied with good works, and I think that that's part of that good works. So, I, to me, that's how we would interact at a social level. It's that it's that Jeremiah. I think it's Jeremiah when it's talking to the exiles, and it's like, hey, you know, the good of the uh, your good is the good of the city, right? If you're mm-hmm. an exile, you're in Babylon, you're a Jew. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to sit there and pout and wait and you know gripe and moan. No, it says you know get good jobs. Seek the good of the city. Seek the good of the city that you're in, um, and, and that will help their, you know, your testimony in your life, and it will kind of, you know, uh, you know, raise all ships. So, um, hope that helps answer that question for you. Yeah, um, I just want to clarify to make sure I fully understand and don't, you know, walk away from this with something different than what you said. Sure. Um, so it's that essentially you would be able to bring somebody, you know, in my situation in, 
and accept them and all of that, even if they aren't necessarily, you know, in yeah, yeah. with God or any yeah. of these kinds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, if cool. you're if you're in my area, man, come up for dinner or something like. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I, yeah. I already started going to churches, so I figured that would be the answer. I was just curious because um, it's like it's a tough question for me, right? Because when I have gone to church, it feels like a gigantic lark because I know that like I don't accept Jesus in the way that a Christian does, right? Right. And at the same time, I can't tell if that's me putting that on myself or if that's me putting the way they would feel about me onto me if that makes sense yeah and so i was that's why i was more curious so it's just an internal thing which at that point i can accept it um i did have a a second question if that's okay sure um it was kind of spawned by something you said in regards to the culture war um this has really kind of kicked off a big in in a large part but not exclusively and not initially um, why I've become interested in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as I hinted, you know, you'll find kindred spirits on pretty much all the social issues, if not me going farther than you guys would in some cases. And I, I find that Christianity, to me, right, uh, where I respect the things that they teach, it's extremely useful to be in like a quasi alliance with people like you, right? I do political organization, this kind of thing, and mm-hmm. I, I see that we look towards the same things in the world, and. I, I, the only question I have in that regard is something you hinted at in the previous caller, is that there's kind of an assumption, and in our discussion actually, there's an assumption that, um, like an empowerment of people who are not totally sold out to be with us, meaning like you as a Christian and me as my thing, um, that we, we accept people in almost at the reduction of our own commitments, essentially, and I, I know you kind of answered this with with regards to the to the the issue with the gay couple that had adopted a child. Yeah. Um. But I I can't help but see that like repeating for thousands of years, that Christianity is essentially an egalitarian and liberalizing force, mm-hmm. and that for a Christian would, would probably be a good thing, right? And that's that's for me a big hangup. So I'm curious how you would interact with that. Uh, yeah, so um, I, I have really mixed feelings about this, to be honest, because um, mm-hmm. I, I I recognize that I'm thoroughly American, and that mm-hmm. I'm and that I'm pretty right, you know, right of right of middle American, right? I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not a far right. I'm not I'm not kind of like part of Trump's America that much. Um, but I'm definitely well, Trump's not, a centrist. I'm way out there. So. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm somewhat of a of a of a modern. I understand that that puts me on the out group of sometimes. That puts me on the in group sometimes. Um, so yeah. so I I just understand where I'm coming from when I when I answer these questions. I think that this is an area where um, you know mea culpa mea culpa mea culpa. You know mm-hmm. I, I have to challenge these things as well. I think this is an area where the American church has a lot of growing up to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have very, we have very Americanized concepts of Christianity. Um, and I, and I often, you know, try to point out to people, you know, Hey, if you, if you want to be like, you know, a, a Trump conservative, go nuts, right? Figure out a way to do it, but you got to figure out a way to, to, to be a Christian and do that. Because in some ways, those two things are, are very at odds, Oh, I would totally agree. Um, totally agree with you, right? Like, I, I have no issue agreeing with that. But, but in some ways, being on the left, it's going to be very at odds. Like, like I yeah. look at it and I say, hey, no matter what, where, no matter what position you are, Christianity, you know, the 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 biblical view of God is always going to find a way to kind of come into your room, pull up a chair, and start like, 
you know, cause a little hurricane in your world. It's just mm-hmm. there, if and to me, I look at that as a good thing, right? I, I, if if there was a if there was a you know a kind of a a human position, political position that was entirely conformed uh, to the biblical view, part of me would say, oh well, that that that's something then that that you know that could be human made. Right. Again, this isn't like an argument for Christianity, but it is kind of a validating point for me as I say, you know what, mm-hmm. if there was a true religion from God, I would expect it to challenge all of us in some ways and in different ways. Right. So. So. Absolutely. So we we struggle with kind of the honor and shame culture of, of, of biblical cultures uh, and, and, and biblical ethics. Um, because as Americans, we have a very low view of honor and shame. Um, whereas mm-hmm. if you go to like the Middle East or if you go to Japan, which has very uh, high honor and shame cultures, that's mm-hmm. not going to be part of what they struggle with. They're actually going to struggle with kind of the extreme, what's going to feel like antinomian free grace to them. Because they're going to be like, well, that's just really not honorable to do. So it's going to press us in different ways, I think, depending on our culture. And, that, and that's okay. And that's a, that's a good thing. Yep. So I recognize the same reality and I have a, then a request sure. if there is a potential. And this will be my final thing because this basically resolves my two questions. Um, is there any biblical teaching, story, passages, whatever, you know, whatever you think or just your own interpretation, your group's preference, um, at where, where the line on certain issues needs to be drawn, right? And I'll, I'll give you the example. There's a guy that goes around in these circles and we probably have all met him. His name's Catholic Traditionalist, and he will yeah. sideways say that he, he thinks we should just bomb abortion clinics, right? And he'll never admit it, and he'll say, well, no, because the government's listening, but, you know, we have to do what we have to do, that kind of thing. And, like, he clearly has found a way to draw the line. Is there a biblical interpretation of when the line can be drawn? Or how do we, how do, how does a Christian determine when that line has been met where, like, look, this just is beyond the pale, so to speak? Yeah. Um, good question. So, <clears throat> I don't think that we can justify some good action. Uh, sorry, but some sin because it is some good action because it has some Absolutely. good outcome, right? So, um, it, so like in 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 uh, in biblical ethics, right? So um, I don't think that we are justified um, to take a life uh, proactively. Right, we we are we are no longer a theonomic state, right? <laughs> right? Why mm-hmm. why could Israel go to war and do what they did? Well, they were a theocratic state, right? God was their king. God mm-hmm. was giving them their marching orders. Um, God is the God is the author and, and sustainer of life. God is the you know when when we literally have a saying, "Who are you to play God?" Right? Who are you to decide when when someone lives and dies? Because only God has that prerogative. So guess what? When God is your king, giving you marching orders, God can tell you when to give and when to take away life. We're not in that position anymore as a nation. Um, and as Christians, as part of the church, our mission uh, is not to uh, establish nation. We're not nation uh, builders, right? We are kingdom builders. The mission is to, de- is to go out among the world and to proclaim the death, resurrection, and new life and hope of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Um, now, if we can stop abortion, if we can help human rights issues, all that kind of thing, so be it. We should. Those are honorable and good things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely think, you know, I, 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 I fight abortion at every corner that I possibly can. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that that allows me then to have the right to go and kill somebody else. Well, I would play the devil's advocate, so to speak, and say, what if it's, there is no death, it's just the destruction of the building? Right. This is the kind of argument that these people make. And 
I don't understand why you can't draw the line, but they can. Uh, from Because I'm sure there's a biblical basis, right? I'm sure there's a difference between Catholics and you said you're reformed. Because I don't understand these groups. Like, I, I'm... Yeah. I have to plead the utmost ignorance because I just am so new to this. But that's that's a very pressing point that I just right. I, I can see the line in certain actions where I'm like, and I'm sure you can too, right? Like you, you the line, homosexuality is a sin, right? Like right. that's an easy line for you to recognize. Where do we recognize the line of action in normal life? Yeah, I, and I say we because I really see us as like, you know, as allies, if not brothers in faith, right? Because I'm not done with that exploration. Yeah. I think in principle, the, the biblical view of, of ethics is is never that the ends justify the means, right? Fantastic. Um, yep. So it, it may be the case, well, let me, so I should qualify. It may be the case that for God, the ends might justify the means, but God is categorically mm-hmm. different than us. Yeah, we're right? not. Because yeah, God can do ends and means and be righteous in both. We cannot. So I don't think it is the case that 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 good ends justify sinful means it, it, because to me that's the line because we could do that for everything right so so imagine i said okay yeah, no, well sure. well i think I, you know i think i should go into politics and i can lie my teeth off because i can bring <laughs> about good them. things yep right that that's just that's just I, that, that is just a thoroughly unbiblical view of what it means to be righteous and in the image of christ um, so I, Absolutely, I, I and I think that's a great teaching of the faith. And I really appreciate your honesty in that answer and not beating around the bush, um, because I've had issues with that, you know, being clarified to me. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate this discussion, and I hope to learn more about Christianity as I continue. And I must say, the two favorite Christian conversations I've had are you and another guy called Straps, who was also reformed. So you guys really got your your stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. There, there are there. What you know? Hey, I I think reformed Christianity is is the is the most biblical understanding, but. My big thing is, hey, you know, cl- close with Christ. You know, absolutely. If if you're in relationship with Christ, we, you know, if you become, you know, if you're in Christian in in relationship with Christ, you become a Catholic. You you and I might have some di- different disagreements, but I'm I'm happier. I'm happier. Still better than where I'm at now. Yeah, I, I <laughs> so. understand that. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, we had a couple people that had their hand raised. A couple questions. They it looks like they've dropped out if anyone has any other questions of what they're uh that they that they'd like to bring up um or like to talk about something uh anything we've talked about about christianity the bible uh anything like that i appreciate okay here we go well i was about to ask you a question but it looks like we have someone so i'll go ahead and mute for now well i sent the invite they're not in yet so what's up oh yeah so um why do you think apologetics seem to be very lacking in the church today? I know when I go about my normative experience with the church that I'm in, um, it's, it's great that we talk about the Bible and stuff like that, but there doesn't seem to be real interest in apologetics. Like, I feel like I'm in a totally different world Like when I go into church. Yeah. In the sense that uh, like when I come on the Internet and talk to fellows like you and I have apologetic encounters with non-believers and stuff, that... This is the way we defend our faith on um, a daily basis. At least that's the part of the life we live. And I'm not saying that everyone should be a call to apologetics in the same kind of a sense. But I just feel like there's almost a total lack of interest in it because the Bible does instruct us that we got to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within us. And it just doesn't seem like um, the people that were, um, at least in my experience, and I think many people have this same experience. It just doesn't seem like the environment we're in. They they seem to think apologetics is being too philosophical or, you know, not really touching on a spiritual level 
given the biblical framework and stuff like that. So is there a reason why you think that is? Um, I mean, there's probably lots of reasons there, you know, it's, there, there are some philosophical, you have to study, you have to think about these things. You could, you know, it could challenge your views. I think sometimes there, there's a certain, um, uh, level of fideism or kind of anti-intellectualism that, that plagues the church sometimes, which is this, uh, you know, we kind of get it from Finney of the, you know, just, just me and my Bible and the garden alone. Um, and, you know, as long, you know, I, I don't I don't need to study all this kind of stuff. That's where you get that idea. You know, we start getting discussions and they're like, oh, I'd, I don't need this whole theology stuff. I, I just read my Bible, which, which or I don't need this hermeneutics thing. I just read my Bible, which to me just tells me like, you have a hermeneutic. It's just probably you. You're not aware of it, so it's probably just a wildly inconsistent one, right? It's the same thing with people who are like, oh, I don't have a worldview. I just, you know, uh, we, you know, well, you have a worldview. It's just you haven't thought about it or considered it, and, and you know, you probably just have a really inconsistent one. Um, and so I think that that that's part of it. Um, it it's, I mean, it's it's hard because. I, I go back and forth on this, and and I try to talk to to, to people who are getting into apologetics. And there have actually been times where I've told people like, okay, apologetics isn't for you. Like, you know, um, and, I, and I don't mean it's never for you, but, I, but I've had some people that want to start getting into apologetics and they've only read like the gospel of John, right? Um, and, and so, so I, I've actually had to kind of turn people around and be like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, kind of, kind of go back to the beginning of, of your faith, like, you know, take take some hermeneutics. Read, read. You know, read uh, read Adler's How to Read a Book, right? Um, you know, kind of really really understand the scriptures um, and where you're coming from. Because a lot of times we'll get some of these these young apologists, and I push back on them, um, who who come to the Bible. Th- they 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 really are interested in apologetics, and the Bible is kind of secondary. And so when they start reading the Bible, that you start getting into these these really kind of wild positions um that for them they can justify because they seem robust because they're 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 doing it backwards they're doing philosophy first and i love philosophy i'm not trying to denigrate philosophy i'm not trying to say we don't do philosophy i'm not doing the whole like oh well you know philosophy is worldly throw it out nothing like that but sometimes it can be very very ungrounded uh, and we can do it backwards um, and, and so I, 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 I'm a big fan of doing things in the right way and in the right order. Um, and so sometimes I think apologetics is, is too early in the, in the kind of the intellectual life of that believer. Um, and they could be 60 years old and they could be just starting to explore it, but maybe they haven't had the foundation. Um, so I, I'm not sure that we, all, we should always push apologetics you know, straight away. However, church-wide, um, I think there is there is a burgeoning of apologetics. I, I, I think um, there, there, is a, there, there is a development that's happening in the last 20 or so years. I think the rise of new atheism following, following uh, you know, um, 9-11 um, has really spawned kind of a, a cottage industry around Christian apologetics and engaging with culture in a way that's a bit more meaningful than the culture wars of, of the previous generation. So I'm hopeful to see that. Um, so I, I think that it's improving, but I but I do see your point. There is a lot of times where you go to the church and it's just kind of not that important. But I'm not sure that you know Sunday morning at the church really is the the you know the context for apologetics. It's you know we're really there to to receive word and sacrament and to, to fellowship and uh, to right. receive prayers. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying all that. I'm not saying go up in there and like uh, find out like New Testament reliability and all that stuff. I'm not talking about anything like that i'm just like getting 
I'm just getting at um, the, the fact that it just, it seems like a lot of people aren't ready to engage non-believers when they go into the world. Like, yeah. uh, given the rise of secularism, it just seems like um, a lot of people who have otherwise have grew up in the church and has been surrounded by the church for years, and they seem to, by their um, testimony, have really believed in their faith, and it got shaken up when they went to the university, and that seems to be a reoccurring theme. Yeah. Time and time again with a lot of people I talk to. So yeah. um, I think um, the church has to take responsibility for that. So that's uh, my thing on that. And it just seems like there's something lacking on some level. Like, I'm not saying that um, our whole the, the church as a whole has to be surrounded by this sort of a thing. But it just seems like it's just if it's lacking entirely, I think that's problematic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely shouldn't shouldn't be lacking. Um, all right, so uh, Tycon, uh, you you're you're in unmute. Thank thank you. How yeah. how are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing very well. So I had a question about legalism. There's all okay. kinds of forms of legalism. Yeah. Uh, there's the more subtle ones, and then there's the ones you find online, like the religious zealots. Not that religious zeal is bad, but those that kind of person, uh, and legalism can seep into a lot of people's lives especially christians and so i was wondering how would a christian identify some form of legalism any kind of any kind yeah uh, and how would they avoid it good very good question i think that um you're you're absolutely right to point out that that legalism isn't one thing that they can come in all different shapes and sizes um i i think one of the more pervasive forms of legalism Right. Uh, kind of in, 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 you know, centuries and millennia gone by, there's kind of the, we, we could look at something like Pelagianism, which saw, well, literally your justification is dependent on your works. That's clear legalism. Uh, you know, if you look at the Pharisees, again, where, where you're, you're, your right standing with God is determined on your works. Right. That's clearly legalism. It's a little bit less clear, but sometimes, you know, when um, when you have Christian uh, Christians who have this idea that if I sin, God's going to punish me and get me, right? Which is not entirely uncommon, right? Um, and it's, 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 um, it's not the case, right? God does discipline those he loves. That's part of the Christian experience. But there's this subtle distortion that happens of, God, you know, God's going to discipline me in love and kindness with this idea that God's God's just punishing me and out to get me if I sin, right? Which leads to that cycle of hiding and not confessing, um, or we're going to feel like we're um, we're judged in the church if you know if we if you know I, I have this uh, this example that I give um, where if if there is someone at your church if there's if there's a man at your church who's struggling with pornography or struggling with same sex attraction, if he doesn't think that he can go and talk to the elders or the pastor, that he can confess that and be loved and be cared for and, and, and be given uh, counseling and support for that, he's probably at a legalistic church of some kind. Um, there, there, there is a strong sense where, yes, we don't want to say that, that those sins are all cool and it's okay, you do you. you know, God, God just loves you the way you are. Yes, God wants to bring you into conformity to Jesus, but a legalistic church is going to be the one that's going to say, hey, if you're struggling with that sin, you're now an outsider. 
right? We, we, you are now not welcome here. You're going to be, we are going to, we're going to judge you uh, as being like a terrible person or, you know, a pox on, on our house or something like that. That's probably going to be a, a, you know, kind of a legalistic church if it has that type of, if, if the response isn't a gracious response, there still might be action that has to be taken. There still might be church discipline that has to be taken, but if it's not a gracious response, um, there's probably some type of legalism that happening. The, the type of legalism that I find so ironic um, is the kind that comes from a certain type of free grace. Um, the, so if, this would be, I think, the health and wealth uh, prosperity gospel movement where they're going to say, it, you know, God loves you so much. It's all a free grace. He wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they're, they seem very, very free grace. But the instant you're sick or the instant you lose a job or you don't have the gift of speaking in tongues, right, or something along, then what happens is, well, you clearly don't have enough faith. And then you start, death, you know, they start doubting your salvation, right? Because that it's this weird type of thing where if you don't have the right level of faith even, <laughs> right? It's a legalism about faith, which is just so bizarre. Um, but the, you're right. So, so I think you're absolutely right in seeing that legalism can come in all of these different uh, varieties um, throughout the church. I think, I think the easiest way to tell legalism is if you ask the question, why am I in good standing with God? right? If the answer has anything to do with how good you are, how much faith you have, how much you've given to the church, you know, how much sin you have, all that kind of stuff, there's some aspect of legalism creeping in. If your answer is because of Christ and him crucified, you're probably in a much healthier situation. Um, so I, that would be the question that I would ask to find out kind of the level of, of legalism. And we all have it to a degree. You know, there, there's that old saying that, you know, Pelagianism is our natural religion. Um, there, there is a certain sense where we kind of all have to fight that urge. Um, but really, we should be focusing on Christ and him crucified. And that's our security in God. Um, yes, we want to walk and we want to be sanctified and grow in our in our in our image and likeness of, of of Jesus. Yes, we want to grow in our sanctification. Yes, we want Christ to be our King and we want to be obedient. But if we ask, "Why am I a child of God?" Uh, it's because of Christ and Him crucified that we're adopted. It's not because we've done anything right or good. So, does that answer the question for you? Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank and uh, if someone like here's an example sometimes i struggle with this uh when i see something someone do something else i'm like sometimes pride seeps in and i think that's part of the legalism how would i avoid that like i'll, I'll look at what something someone else does and i'm like oh they're either a weaker christian or they're not a christian at all which is not necessarily true at all in any way but how would one avoid those thoughts and uh fight against it yeah a uh, good practical question um i think that a good place to start is to go and read towards the end of romans where it's it's talking about the weaker brother stronger brother um and to and, and to study that passage to pray about that passage and like all issues in sanctification you're going to grow in it um and the more you're aware of it the the, the faster you'll grow in that um pray about it ask other people to pray about it and in the same way that we, you know, 
guess what? The, 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 the man who has same-sex attraction or struggles with pornography, he needs to confess his sin to somebody. You know, he, should, he shouldn't be like, hi, I'm Jim. I struggle with pornography to the first person he meets, right? You, know, you want to find good people to confess to that are appropriate to confess to. Uh, but in the, same, in the same way, whoever's in your life that you confess things to, confess that to. Be open and transparent about it. Have people praying for you um, and, and grow in that and understand that sometimes you're going to be the weaker brother. Sometimes you're going to be the stronger brother. And we need to try to, to give grace to everyone and be and kind of try that, that Pauline model of being all things to all people and, and, and exhibiting the grace of Christ to them. You're not going to be perfect, um, you know, but, but, but pray about it, confess it, have people praying with you and supporting you and, and, and try to grow. All right. Thank you. I'll pass it on to someone else. Sure. And uh, for those who are waiting in the wings, if you had your hand up before, keep your hand up. We're going to try to get to everyone as much as possible. We're doing one at a time. So even if it may take a bit to get to you, keep your hand up if you want to keep your place in line. Make sure you yep. keep your hand up. Well, Brojo dropped out. Oh, we'll get him back in here. Brojo, Brojo, good guy. Oh, okay, there he is. Let's try. Let's try this again. There yeah. So go ahead and raise your hand. Like I saw you um in the audience, Katie. But you had your hand up. But don't drop your head because it it's it, you have a place in line when you keep your hand up. It shows them one at a time. And yep. if you keep your hand up, you get to keep your place. Yep. So yeah. Uh, for quick, quick. You know, Brojo's here. Quick. Quick plug for Brojo. Brojo has the best podcast by a millennial presuppositionalist dealing with films that's out there. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time, man. Up becoming podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's up, Brojo? Well, thank you for the plug. I tried not to plug the podcast because, you know, we don't want to get in trouble. But um, thank you for doing that. Um, you, you made a point earlier um I guess about um, apologetics in the in the church, and I was thinking, has it been your experience that? I mean, I know in my experience, there's all sorts of reasons. I mean, you know, sometimes people have this idea that love does not come in form of a debate, and so they kind of have this idea that, well, if you're really loving, what you'll do is, you know, we hear this a lot with Hillsong Christianity. We we have this thing of uh, do life with the person, don't argue with them. Right. Um, because if you confront their belief, you know, then there's going to be a problem. So what do you, what do you think about that? Um, yes. I mean, like most things, um, it's not entirely wrong. Um, so I, I think that, you know, if you're the type of person that goes around and you, you can't, you know, you can't have your, your atheist neighbor over to dinner um, without arguing with them about religion um, and, and their faith. Right. It, guess what? It doesn't have to come up at every barbecue. <laughs> Um, so there, there, there is a certain sense where that can crowd out, um, kind of the, the, the relationship aspect, um, of just being humans together and, and being, you know, image of God and, and, and walking with that person, right? Your, your entire walk with that person doesn't have to be one long debate, um, however, uh, I, I think your, your point is, is well taken, um, that, uh, it's not unloving, to necessary to you know debate with someone um, or to challenge someone or challenge them to think it, it may be unloving to do it in certain ways um, but it's not unloving right we we in, in fact um, what what I've found is that when when I meet somebody if they have a view that I don't know about right I will spend time just asking them a thousand questions right 
and and I found that that that's a very loving thing. They they feel very cared for because I want to understand them. I want to understand their position and where they're coming from. And it's not necessarily tactical, right? I mean, to a certain degree, I want to be able to understand it so I can engage it and I can engage it accurately. But there is a certain level where I'm just showing that I respect this person and I love this person and I care about them that I want to understand where they're coming from and where they're at in life and what they're thinking about. And I want to do it, pro- I want to give them the, the proper respect and honor um, to, to do it accurately and not to just kind of walk over it like a doormat or um, or just try to stick them in a, you know, I, 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 you know, I studied worldviews back in college 20 years ago and I have these seven preformed cookie cutters that I'm just going to impose this one on you because that's the closest one to I think what you're saying. Right? Well, no, I mean, there's there is a certain level of, of loving care that it takes to um, to engage with someone and to listen to them and try to understand them and understand where they're at. Um, and to and, and, on, and to honestly and genuinely understand um, why they believe it. Right. Because. Even there, there, you know, the, the three of us here, uh, we're, I mean, we're presuppositionalists. We understand that, that, that there, there is no worldview that is rational apart from God, that there is the utter irrationality apart from God as the foundation for, for reason and experience, right? And so there, there's, there's that level. But Van Til also, you know, for those who follow presuppositional conversations, Van Til at the same time said there's no common ground. Like I said, the other one, there's entirely common ground, right? It's not that the atheist doesn't believe in God for entirely stupid reasons, right? Or ignorant reasons or crazy or anything. If we understand where they're coming from, from life, we can kind of understand the existential reasons and, you know, some of of the reasons why they might hold those certain views, even though we all, we all believe, you know, not all of us watching this, but the three of us all, we, we believe that that at, at its core, it's utterly irrational to deny God because God is the only foundation for reason. So I so th- there is a certain sense where I, I want to say yes debate debate passionately but I also think that we should we should love those people and we should be you know we we should we should care for them there is a certain aspect of of that kind of cheesy friendship evangelism that's true where where if, where if you can't just be a really good loving friend to someone um, then then I think you 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 may have a lopsided apologetic to begin with all right, Tyler. That's great that you said that because I literally tapped out my my next question, which was about friendship evangelism. So everything you've been like hitting every point. You're just leading into the to the next question, which is great. So, um, how do you view friendship evangelism? I know I hear in um, Pentecostal charismatic camps, and not of the reform tradition, but you know the Pentecostal um, charismatic churches. You tend to have this real strong, stern emphasis, and I hear from relatives. I've seen Christian post videos saying you can't be friends with people in the world. They'll drag you down. Don't be une- unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the other position, which is um, just as radical: do everything that they do in order to get them in. Yeah. So, how do you view that um, friendship evangelism? How should we do that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, I mean, what what did Paul do? I mean, Paul, Paul flat out said we should be, you know, we should be all things to all people, right? I, I think that that view that says, well, well you know, you, you can't, don't, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. There's, again, there's a certain sense we're sure, right? As a believer, you shouldn't marry an unbeliever, you know, um, 
you 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 know may, it, it probably isn't a good idea if you're trying to do a business you know start a business to go into business with someone who has entirely different you know ethical norms than you. Um, that doesn't mean, however, that you can't walk shoulder to shoulder with people kind of on the journey of life. Um, now, I think that one of the reasons why we're prone to extremes on these is because middle grounds are really, really hard and take a lot of maturity and a lot of wisdom, right? It's very, it's very clear cut and very easy to say, oh, well, that person isn't Christian, don't associate. Right? Because that doesn't take any work. That doesn't take any wisdom. Right? It's very easy to say, spend all of your time with them, do everything, because that's very clear-cut, very easy, but you're going to be tempted towards other things. The balancing act between those two things where it's going to, I'm going to be in this person's life and I'm going to love them and I'm going to care for them and I'm going to allow them to love and care for me, but I'm going to do it wisely in a way that it doesn't sacrifice my principles, that it doesn't lead me to sin, that it doesn't, you know, but there's going to be struggles with that, right? Sometimes, you know, moral answers aren't always clear. Um, we wish they were, and in some cases they're more clear than we think they are, but that's where wisdom comes in. And that's just where life is hard and messy and, and dirty and muddy. And it's just, it's just hard sometimes. And if you read through the Psalms, you read through Proverbs, there are some things that are very, very clear. And there are some things that are very, very muddy and messy. Uh, and we rely on God and we, we have to develop spiritual disciplines and develop wisdom. Um, but I don't think we should have this anemic view in either direction. Okay. Uh, do you mind if I ask one more question sure. about that? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, because I know when I first became a Christian, and I see a lot of Christians uh, do, do this. It, it's not, you know, because I don't want to communicate a sense of like strict legalism right you know some people oh you were so we're so much holier than them but but you know usually uh, what what would your advice be to someone who just came into the to into the flock uh and they are really struggling hanging out with friends uh who were very they were living a very licentious just really uh, really i mean uh, overtly wicked lifestyle and now they still have these friends in their life and now they're saved and anytime they're around them the friend tries to influence them or bring them back into the lifestyle or they're just tempted being around those friends yeah. how, how do they uh, evangelize them evangelize to them in a way that will be uh protects their purity yeah um and it also is effective so that we're not giving people the cold shoulder yeah well so i, I there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of wisdom that's going to be needed in that, right? And that may, that probably is going to change as that person matures and grows, or you know, or maybe they have you know they slide back later in life and they have to grow and mature again, right? So um, that's that, that's just going to change as the Christian life cycle goes, right? So maybe when that person first becomes a Christian, they're not in any place to be around those friends. Right. Uh, and this, this is where kind of Jesus's message of guess what? You know, it's better to cut off your hand than to endure the fire of hell. Right. There's a certain Jesus taught that for a reason. Right. There, there is a certain sense where, where, you know what, if these friends are going to if you know you're going to be with them or you have really strong doubts that you're going to be able to maintain your Christian witness and life among them, you may need to cut them off. Um, and that might feel cold. They might not understand it, but guess what? At the end of the day, 
If you're not able to cut that off to protect yourself so you can grow and mature, you're not going to be able to minister to anyone else because you're going to be constantly sitting with those people, right? There, there's going to be certain times where, where that just is the case. However, I also think, um, and, and you know, there, there, I think there's some scriptural warrant for this, that whatever, whatever, you know, whatever sin God delivers you from is a ministry that God's going to call you to at some point in your life. Um, and so, you know, even if you had to cut that person off, you know, that, that group off and understand and grow and develop it, I've found in my life, that's going to circle back around in your life somehow. And you're going to, you're going to keep needing to be tested and grown and and minister in that way and help other people that way. Uh, And so there is going to be a time when, when you really are going to have to kind of step out in faith and in wisdom and in practice and and re-engage, maybe we're not with those same people, but those similar types of groups of people and that's just okay, but you go in, you know, shrewd as serpents, the, the scripture said. You go in wisely. You go in with accountability. You go in with structure. You know, maybe if someone's, a, you know, if you know that you had a, a previous life uh, with drugs or alcohol or whatever, and you're going to be, you know, called to go back and minister in those areas, you always go with, you know, a team of two or three. You, all, you know, whatever, whatever it is, or you go with certain times, you have accountability or whatever. You may have to go in with some, with some additional constraints, um, but you still may have to go back in, um, and that's okay. So I, I just think that there's a lot of development and wisdom that has to happen uh, as you go through your Christian life that way. However, I should, I should say this also. Friendship evangelism um, can also be wildly manipulative um, in really unhealthy ways. Uh, because, and, 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 and I'm sure some people here have experienced this, where because someone is trying to do quote-unquote friendship evangelism, they're not actually developing a friend. They're developing a project, right? So, so the idea is I'm going to befriend this person as a means to evangelize them, right? That's not a healthy way to develop a friendship. You've made that person into a project. Uh, and, in, and in some ways, you can actually demean your evangelism because you're not respecting that person or that relationship. Um, and, and that really is, a, I, I've seen that as a really a strong problem that can happen. So I, I would say it, under the vein of friendship evangelism, the thing is you should be evangelizing your friends, right? You shouldn't be gaining friends just to evangelizing them. I think that distinction is really, really important. All right, that's really good because you know what? I had to learn from that a year ago. And, and, and you're right, you demean your friends and they can tell. They definitely like your tell. friends, if they've been with you for long enough, they say, "Why are you talking to me like this?" I mean, uh, you know, so that that's good. That's a principle that I've tried to apply. You have to genuinely be interested in these people. It can't just be you're my mission. You know, yeah. let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. You know, so yeah, that that's really good. Yeah, especially I mean, people people will know it. They'll they'll sense it. They'll really feel it because a lot of times what happens is, uh, let's say your evangelism doesn't work. And then you lose interest and you move on to someone else because that person wasn't your friend. That person was your project. Um, and and you, you think your project failed, so you move on to somebody else. And so really all you've done is use that person for a time and then cast them aside. And they're probably worse off than when you first found them. Um, so fr- friendship evangelism, while I understand the... I'm not saying that, that that friendship evangelism teaches that you should do that. I just think that that's a way that it's sometimes in practice done um, that can be very, very unhealthy. So it, I would say that if someone's like, oh, I'm out to friendship evangelize, no, make friends, care for people, love them, love on them, be friends and evangelize your friends, um, but but maintain Amen. the friendship, right? You're not just You're not just using people as projects. 
Amen. I, I totally agree. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks, Roger. Good talking to you again. Uh, Sleep Pillow, the invite coming to you. Oh, that's a good name. Oh, I love sleep. Yeah, no. Uh, it's it's interesting. A lot of these questions have been uh, from Christians or about uh, you know that you know the, the Christian life and, and evangelism and stuff. <laughs> I thought there would be a lot more uh, atheists that would you know want to challenge me on on certain things. Uh, I'm sure they're they're in there somewhere. We're at an hour and a half in, um, so I'm probably only going to go for about another. This is going to be a YouTube video, so two hours is about the max that I'm going to want to download. So um, if anything comes in, I'll sleep pillow me. Uh, they're flickering. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, if they okay, if you're not ready to go once you're clicked on, because once you get once you get clicked on, it says you've been invited to speak. So if you don't come in oh. soon after that, we're gonna have to move on. There you Sorry. are. Sorry, no Let's worries. Find the invite button. No worries. How are you doing? So I'm good. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm 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 good. Good. Yeah. I've been listening, and compared to these people, like all these other smarter people, <laughs> my questions are super, just shallow in comparison. Uh, there's, the, if, well, if, if it's, I, I, I've learned a long time ago that if that if, yeah. if if you have a question, lots of people have the same question. They're, they're not, they're not shallow. They're just, they're, you know, they're just what what so you're like, thinking. I'm asking. I'm kind of new to this religion thing, uh-huh. and first of all, what's evangelizing? Yeah, no, ev- uh, evangelizing, uh, it comes from the, the, the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. Evangelizing is, is, is the idea of sharing the good news with people. Um, you know, so that, that's, that's evangelism or evangelizing. Uh, so when you hear someone who's an evangelical, they are a person of the good news, uh, ostensibly. So Nice. And another question. Well, this is like, so... Because I am on a precarious position of I support like religion and Christian and pro life, but I also stand on supporting LGBT plus. And now you see I am having trouble dealing with like who should I support? It's just like is there a way to find out, or is it just like a personal path of learning? Um, well, what do you mean by support, right? I mean, do you, do, you, do you mean like politically? Do you mean ethically? It's like in all forms, because I believe in people's rights. Like I can see the good points and the bad points of both sides. And I don't know which, and I feel like, like should I have to take a side in this kind of area? Um, it's a good, I, I think you're struggling with, with the normal, um, I just don't think life is that clear cut. Some people do. Some some Christians are going to yell at this and be, you know, they're going to yell at the screen. They're going to think that I'm, you know, capitulating or whatever. But I'm going to say, you know, like at the end of the day, I, I think that as a Christian, I, I should be doing what I can to, to share the gospel um, and, and to and, and to help people come out of hiding and to experience the love of God. Um, and so I'm just not sure that I have to be committed one way or another on, you know, a political issue of gay rights. Um, there, there's a certain level where I'm going to look at that, and Jesus said, "Hey, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and give to God what's God." And there's a sense of where everything is God's. So I understand why some people are like, "Well, we should fight, gay, you know, against gay marriage because everything is God's." I understand that. I get why they say it, um, because you know, I, again, like I said earlier, I think the Bible is very clear on sexual ethics. 
Um, but there's also a sense where I'm going to say, look, you know, my, I, I just don't think the church is called to fix government. Um, I, I think the church is, is called to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Uh, and I think I think we're called to uh, to live uh, live out the word and the sacrament and to, to, to love other people and to care for other people. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that means, you know, if, if you if, back in the 80s, when when HIV was a huge plague in the gay community, I think Christians should have been bedside. Right. Rather rather than fighting against gay marriage. I think we should have been visiting hospitals, bringing food, offering support and helping people struggling. So I, I just, for, for me, the issue of gay marriage is just tactically not something that I'm really that interested in, uh, even though I understand why certain Christians and, and non-Christians, right? If they, if they think that, that, that there's nothing wrong with, with being, uh, with, with gay uh, homosexual activity or, or, or lesbian or transgender, or all that kind of stuff, they think, then, then they're going to want to fight against people who are going to want to fight against that. So I, I understand why they have those passionate views uh, it's just not really in my wheelhouse. I'm going to say, look, I, I, I just want to share the gospel, love people, uh, and, 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 and help as many people as they can uh, to, to seek and find the, the love of their Savior. So uh, I'm not sure if that answers. All right. Thank you for your insight. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to take Atomic Glue, Net. Atomic Glue, John. I won't dox you. I won't give out your last name, but I've known John for a long time. Yeah, what's up? How you doing, brother? Hey, uh, good, man. Uh, I, you know, you mentioned earlier about, like, going to a brother and confessing their sins or something. You know, I got to come to you and I got to confess something. Okay, it's an addiction that I have, and this is so hard to share, but... I have an addiction of ketchup. Why? And I Why know do you gotta do it, man? Why do you gotta do it? <laughs> <laughs> I do so like ketchup. So, so for for anyone listening, I I hate like I will eat pretty much almost. When I was in Columbia, I ate fried big carpenter bug, you know, uh, ants. I will eat anything. Like I I love food. I'll try any food except for ketchup. I hate ketchup. It just like it tastes what evil tastes like to me. It's just like saccharine sweet, but vinegary and rotten to me. It's just the worst taste in the world. I hate ketchup. Oh. So John, uh, I hate you for that. <laughs> just kidding. I, I love oh, if, it's wow. a, if it's a, if it's an addiction you have, man. I love you, and I will help you overcome the ketchup man. struggle. And I'll, I'll, I'll be the first one to help you throw away all your ketchup and flush it down the toilet. How about that? All right. Have you have you tried a Chick Fil A sauce? <laughs> uh, I have tried Chick Fil A sauce. It's okay. Actually, um, there was a there was a meatloaf recipe that I tried, which was really really good, and it has the ketchup sauce. But the ketchup sauce, it's ketchup base, uh, but it has so much other stuff, other seasonings, and you know, yeah. seasoned salt and seasoned pepper and all this kind of stuff that it just didn't taste like ketchup any, anymore. Um, and okay. so that that was actually really delicious. That was really really good. So I did eat ketchup recently, right. uh, and my grandma thought, or my my uh, not my grandma, my kid's grandma, uh, my 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 stepmother actually thought it'd be funny to make ketchup cake uh, for my dad's birthday, and so I had to eat it. Uh, but it tastes like spice Ooh. cake. It was actually really really good. So. Okay. Anyway, I'm just joking around. Love you too, brother. Love you, man. I'll see y'all. All right. right. Uh, Pro chinchilla. Ooh, I love chinchillas. They're so soft. 
Uh, how are you, um, Tyler? So I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, so is there yeah. anything that is historical that happened from the Old Testament and has been proven to be a real event? Is there anything that's historical? Anything that's historical? Yeah, that happened from the Old Testament and has been proven to be a real event. Sure. The kingship of David is a, is a good example. We, we, we have a Stella that talks about the kingship of David and the following in the house of Omri and stuff like that. So, so there, there, there are, uh, in, in the Old Testament, there are, and really this is the case for all history, I think, um, th- there are lots of things that we can, we can believe happened historically, um, even though we may not have, like, archaeological, like, we don't have... Uh, a certain type of evidence that you might want, right? There's lots of things that we know about history, for example, um, that we get from one source, right? We we believe all kinds of things happened uh, in the Roman Empire in 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 uh, in Palestine because Josephus wrote about it, and he's the only one that wrote about it. But we we trust him as a reliable source, and so we and it and it, and it ties other things together. It helps other things dovetail. In such a way that there's there's kind of this coherence and concordance, and it, it helps weave a, the tapestry together in other areas from other sources um, that we think there's a high rely you know po- uh, positive reliability that that happened, um, and there's enough anchor points throughout like the physical data that we have that supports it. We have a lot of that that happens throughout the old the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? So there, there there's a there's there's a website I think it's called Bible Archaeology or something like that. It, it it's not some weird blog. It actually is is by uh, by biblical archaeologists and scholars and experts and Egyptologists and stuff. Well, they'll they'll go through a bunch of a bunch of these things and they'll show that we we have we have lots of we actually have lots of archaeological evidence for the existence of Israel uh, around uh, in in and around the exile. We have certain uh, you know coinage. We have certain uh, uh, amulets. We have certain stellas. Right there, we we actually have all kinds of archaeological evidence. Uh, for those types of for the for those types of events, I have a feeling though, you're asking for more macro level big events like the Exodus, right, or something like that. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you got that, but um, yeah, that was pretty much correct. Yeah. Um. Yep. So so here's yeah. here's where I'm gonna here's where I'm gonna and you may not like the answer, right? But here's where I'm gonna say within historiography, um. Again, the methods of historiography give us lots of tools to understand uh, reliability of text and events. Um, under certain uh, types of, of, of kind of empiricist understandings, those aren't going to qualify as good evidence. So for me, I'm going to push back and say, okay, well, I just think that there's a certain standard of evidence that may be unrealistic when we're asking about these types of historical events. But what we're gonna, what I'm gonna look at, and, and I've done a couple episodes on this, I've done a blog on this. What I'm gonna look at is what's called dovetail evidence. Um, when we're looking at a certain text, um, and there are markers for uh, for historical reliability um, within a text. And I, I'm actually in the, let me actually bring this up. Um, uh, while I'm looking. Um, I'm not good at typing in 
and 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 thinking and talking at the same. I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, maybe I'm not going to be able to find it. I was hoping to to, to find. I'll I'll, I'll I'll look it up and I'll, and I'll give the the link in the in the com in the comments after this. Um, for that, I can the, DM you. What's that? As well. Yeah, I can. I'll, I'll, I can I'll, I'll, I'll DM it to yeah. you, but I'll also stick it in the in the notes so so other people have it. Um, but there there is there is. Um, when when we're talking about something like the Exodus, um, there's 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 all this question about well you know is it a historically reliable source? Was it written during the the supposed time of the Exodus, sometime between 1440 and 1200 BCE, um, or was it written you know is it just a post-exilic invention right of of, of Israelite priests trying to invent their own cultural history, right? That that's that's a live debate. Right. I'm going to come uh, and, and start looking at some of this what's called dovetail evidence where, where we say, OK, um, we have to understand that historiography and, and kind of the truing up of historical features is a very, very modern thing. Right. The historical novel is a modern invention. Right. So um, we see this all the time when um, when Josephus writes about something and he writes about an event that was 200 years before. Um, and he tries to get money right. He'll get money wrong because he'll he'll get it he'll get it right to his time frame, but it would have been wrong 300 years ago about something he's writing about, right? So so ancient historians didn't account for things like inflation. Um, they didn't account typically for things like name changes. Um, they didn't account for things. Uh, uh, um, Richard Bauckham in his book dealing with Jesus and the eyewitnesses, he has this. It, it's it's probably one of the most boring chapters ever written in the history of writing about history because um, it's just pages and pages and pages of, uh, of lexical data. Um, but he makes this point that this, the, the, the statistical derivation of names in the Gospels is identical to what we have from all of the other sources dealing with the middle, like the middle three decades of the first century in Palestine. Um, whereas if, if the gospel writers were making up history, even, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later, 60 years later, if you're, you know, or, you know, some liberal dating later from a diff, you know, from, uh, Asia minor or from North Africa, right. Or from Rome, right. They're going to get the names wrong. Right. They're 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 not going to have all the statistical data and, and all the derivations at hand at the end of the first century to make to kind of true up their accounts to match reality. That's just they didn't have those resources. And we see this when you look at the Gnostic Gospels, for example, the names don't match and they use very Greek names or they very use, you know, name Greco-Roman that are in North Africa that wouldn't have been present in Palestine at the time or or almost never show. Right. They don't match. The gospel ones match, right? But th that's that's what's that's that's a kind of dovetail data, right? The the data dovetails with the historical reliability. We get the same thing uh, when it comes to something like the accounts in the Exodus, right? Um, you have you have slave prices um, that are appropriate for that time period. You have place names that are appropriate, which is interesting because a lot of those places, a lot of the cities that they reference, um, didn't exist. Uh, at the time that that the the kind of the 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 liberal um, uh, critical scholarship looks at it, right, a thousand years later, um, they didn't exist, uh, and they wouldn't have existed even in living memory, 
right? They just they, they would have just been raised and gone by then. They don't exist. In, it, but they get the names right. Um, they get etymology right, right? They get they get all kinds of things that we wouldn't expect someone writing a thousand years later in a different culture, in a different country, in a diff- entirely different context. We wouldn't expect them to get it right, um, but they get all of these details right. Um, again, to a certain view of empiricism, they're going to say, yeah, but, you know, we don't have that. That doesn't entail the exodus happened. Right. Well, to a certain degree, I'm just going to say, well, we don't have that for much of history. Right. We, we have what's left over through the sands of time, um, which just isn't going to be all that much. Right. We're going to we're going to go a lot on accounts and whatever's left over in archaeology. Um, and, and that's we're going to we're that this is just how historiography progresses. Um, and I think that that's okay. Does that 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 do somewhat of an answer to your to your question? Um, somewhat, but I do appreciate the the answer. Anyways, um, I'll move back to the audience. Absolutely. Uh, I'll I, I'll look up. I've I've been trying to find. Um, I don't remember what I labeled it uh, in the blog, so I'll I'll, I'll look for it. Um, and, and, and put it in and put it in the links for you um, oh uh, I just found it <laughs> now that if you want to if you want to raise your hand and come back in uh, I just I just, I don't think he's in the audience I don't see him uh, okay let me let me uh, for those who are still listening um, so let me let me go through some of the uh, some of those 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 answers so um, it, it it follows uh, the, 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 the Semitic influence that happened in, in Exodus and the view that there is a bunch of, uh, of, of uh, Semitic peoples. By the way, Semitic, you know, not, not all Semites were Jews at the time. Um, there's a large Semite uh, immigration that happens during, um, during the Old Kingdom period uh, and the, uh, to the second intermediate period of Egyptian history um, that really helps solidify understanding what's happening in the Exodus. Um, there's some uh, study of names, so an amaziology, some similar to what I had mentioned under Bauckham that happens. Um, there are certain names that, that happen uh, in, in this, this the Exodus cycle that were only really used during that second intermediate empire periods that wouldn't have been used later on. So Potiphar, uh, Zapathpanea, uh, Hartamim, the, for the magicians, those terms just were not used. Uh, when the critical date uh, uh, is proposed. Um, so th- we wouldn't expect to see those types of things um, uh, there. Uh, we wouldn't expect to have seen the type of, um, uh, the type of, so there's a certain type of slander that actually happens, which is very interesting uh, in, in, uh, in the Exodus cycle. So you'll, one of the very interesting things about the passage is that Pharaoh is never named. Um, that's a very actually um, uh, culture-bound thing that happens. So it was a very Egyptian thing at that time, at the early date time, sometime uh, in, in the second millennia BCE, that when, uh, when Pharaoh conquered another nation, they basically wrote them out of history. They didn't give them a name. That was to show utter conquest. So in in the Exodus cycle, when when Yahweh is going against Pharaoh, Pharaoh's never named. 
He's never given a name. It's very unusual. We have names of all kinds of other people. I mean, we know the names of the midwives, right? We don't know the name of Pharaoh. Other kings are named. When you go to the judges cycle or previously when, when, when Abraham encounters Pharaoh, we know their names, right? We, we, we know Ahimelech, right? We, we know these types of things. We don't know the name of Pharaoh. It's a very, very Egyptian motif during that period to whitewash the name out of history in order to show that they had been utterly defeated, right? Which was the whole point of the Exodus cycle. That was not done. That was not a polemical strategy that happened that happened in Babylon or Assyria. They actually would expressly write the name. Sometimes they would write a diminutive form of it. Sometimes they would sat they would satirize it. Um, so if the you know if the if the name I, I actually can't you know, I'm having a hard time thinking of an example. But you know here here we have you know some some names where if someone is named. You know, the, on Star Trek, there's one, I think, I can't remember the, the, the person's name, but his name was, is like Bacardi or something. And they call him Broccoli. And it's meant to kind of make fun of them, but still name them. They would do that, right? They would alter it to make it an insult. Um, uh, th- this happens with Antiochus Epiphanes. We think his name is actually an insult. Um, it's not probably his, his real name. There's, there's a slight variation that mocks him, right? That was the Babylonian and the Assyrian way. They would write it on a dish. They would dash the dish to the ground to break it, right? You would actually defeat someone's name, so you would name them. So we would expect to find that if the, if, if the Jews were writing this and inventing this story within the context of an Assyrian or a Babylonian exile, that they would be all about naming and shaming the, the pharaoh. Uh, but they don't. It's it's left out, which is a very, um, very, very Egyptian thing. Very, very specifically during that that day, that that time period uh, of you know the fifteenth uh, to twelfth century BCE. So there, there. That's just some of them. Um, there are lots and lots and lots of examples like this where we go through um, where we would we would not expect someone writing later to to be able to do what we now do as modern historiography they just didn't have the resources to do that they couldn't do statistical derivations of names they didn't have this type of historical understanding of what type of polemics did this culture do at this point in the history and let's let's create a historical fabricated thing that dovetails with they they just didn't do history that way Um, and so the fact that we have hundreds and hundreds and thousands of these little dovetail features is really strong confirmatory evidence, uh, dovetail evidence that these that these accounts are historically uh, reliable. Now, the, someone may come along and say, oh, well, they're theologized, they're miraculous, right? So I can, I can write a novel that's true to New York, but it's about Spider-Man. That doesn't mean Spider-Man exists. I understand. But the question was specifically around, do we have good reason to, to think that the, his, the historical events happened? Um, and, and I'm going to say, yes, I, I think we do for a lot of those reasons. So this is real quick. I don't know how you're looking on time, but I don't see any hands in the audience. But um, until, yeah, oh, we, well, we got one. Um, until um, you can wrap up here, if you'll indulge me with a couple of quick questions while I bring this person in. Yep. Just uh, piggybacking off of what you just said, um, in terms of how you looked at um, that little line of history that you just went over. Uh-huh. Um, if you if you juxtapose that with your prior conversion when you were a non-believer and then you coming into that experience, given your transformative um, experience with what you were talking about with the Holy Spirit just 
having this sort of presence in your life. Yeah. If you just suppose how you see history then with how you uh, see history now, did uh, your experience with the Holy Spirit sort of illuminate how you see um, the evidence of Christianity prior to how you would have looked at it as a non-believer? Did this sort of an experience illuminate that for you? It did. I, I, I think one of, one of the things that um, I, I'm thankful for, for God to really place early in my life um, very academic Christians. Um, and so very early on in my Christian life, I understood that just because I didn't understand something didn't mean it was false. But at the same time, it wasn't this fideistic thing where it's like, well, as long as I have faith, none of this stuff matters, right? Or, you know, I, I, I very early on had Christians who were encouraging me to go and read. Go, if you have a question, don't just go read blogs. Well, it's it, it, blogs weren't that much of a thing back then. Um, but, you know, go. go th there are excellent, excellent resources on this. And you know what? There are some things you're not going to find all the answers, right? And that's okay. But you'll, there's a lot of information and there's a lot of answers in, that, in the right direction, right? And so very early on in my Christian life, um, I, I was, I, I think I was given some really good advice that even if I don't understand something, it doesn't mean that I have to admit defeat, the Bible's false. But it also doesn't mean that I have to be one of those Christians who's like, well, uh, as long as I take it on faith, doesn't matter that, you know, this, that I don't understand this. Um, you know, I can just check my brain at the door, whatever. I didn't really ever have either of those poles as part of my Christian experience. Um, and so I think, um, I, you know, I'm really thankful for God. And I think the Holy Spirit really did bring some of those people into my life very early on. Um, and that was very formative to me. It very, it, it's, it's almost like the way that I think about it is, they're, they're, you know, if you're bowling, you could either go far to the left on the kind of the fideistic side, anti-intellectual side. You can go far to the right on the skeptical side. Or you can put up some bumpers. Right. And say, OK, well, I'm not really going to accept either of those. I'm, I'm not going to accept just this fideistic you know, check my mind at the door, but I'm not also going to say, well, I am the end all be all for, and if, and if, and if God doesn't, you know, make it understandable to me, then it must be false, right? There's some bumpers on either side of the lane when I bowl down, you know, down, down this thing we call Christianity. And I might not get a strike every time. Sometimes I will. Sometimes I, you know, I, I think I've come to a pretty good grasp of some things. Sometimes I might hit one pen. I don't know. Um, but at least, you know, I, it, it's in the right direction. And I, I think that that was um, some very, very, um, uh, some very helpful things really early on in my, my Christian life. I'm not sure if that answered your question. Excellent, excellent, absolutely good. Thank you so much. And then just one more before we pass it on to the gentleman in here. Um, I'll think at times. Um, like when I'm having my apologetic encounters with non-believers, and I'll and I'll be perfectly honest with you, brother, and I'll just confess that um, I do I do love debate. I love it a lot, but sometimes I get wrapped up in the flesh, and then I have these ideas of frustration and stuff like that, to where I just want to just go online and just refute the non-believer, and that's something that I really need. That that's something that I really got to have changed within me, how do we preserve the integrity of what our mission is as Christians for the gospel message um, while at the same time not getting too wrapped up in the debate 
atmosphere, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> um, uh, again, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. I, you know, I have, I, I have failed in this area, you know, more times than not because you get in debate and you get heated and it, you know, it happens. Then you look back and you're like, oh, uh, I've actually started asking people that I really trust their opinion um, to watch the debate. Uh, and sometimes if I get too heated, be like, hey, can you actually, I'll have my phone on and be like, hey, message me <laughs> if, I, if I'm going too far. And, I'm, and, and, I, and I've committed. I've basically said, I'm going to hold myself accountable. If you say I'm too far, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to debate it. I'm not going to argue it. I'm going to listen and I'm going to try to adjust in the middle of the debate. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I've tried, to, I've tried to submit myself to some, some accountability for that um, because, I, because I do have the conviction um, that, that we should, uh, everything we should do, you know, our speech should be seasoned with salt. We should be kind. We should be loving. We should live by the spirit, you know, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, you know, I, I think that we should have that as a component. Um, at the same time, you know, <laughs> Paul says, Hey, to the Judaizers who are, who are pushing circumcision, I wish they would just go the whole way and castrate themselves. So, you know, there, there's a balancing act in there somewhere. Um, but I, I, you know, I think that, um, that that generally we should we should lean towards uh, we should lean towards that that charitable side um, as much as we can. And when, when we feel ourselves being heated, um, we should we should try to, to leave and understand the goal of debate. Um, I'm not going to say it's never to win. Um, especially, you know, I, I do some formal debates. I'm trying to win. And, you know, there are, there are tactical and there are strategic things that I do to try to win the debate. But um, it shouldn't be only to win. Yeah. The purpose, however, I, I understand that tactically I'm trying right. to win. But I understand that my ultimate goal is not just to bring people to truth, but to bring people to Christ. Amen. Um, so, that's, that's so at the man. end of the day, yes, I want to win in the service of bringing people to truth, in the service of bringing people to Christ. And so, if I understand that's my ultimate mission, and I keep that at the forefront, um, it should kind of have a trickle down, hopefully, um, to those to the how I try to win the debate, right? Because I could still oh, try right. to win the debate, but I but I have to do it in the right way, and that's caring yes. uh, to, towards the ultimate mission. Hey, man, I appreciate it, brother. And we'll pass it on to this gentleman if you still have the time. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I, I probably got about uh, about five minutes left or so. All right, I'll be really quick. I'm double dipping for a question here. <laughs> no so um, I've kind of had like a miniature identity crisis lately, and I'm, it's a little off topic, but I'm hoping you can give some good advice here. Sure. So I've identified a really big problem with the help of some other people that, that basically culminates in the fact that America is kind of like culturally barren in a lot of ways. There's a lot of like, you know, cities are just rootless metropolitan hellholes, effectively. And there's very little for like someone like me who's like a multi-generational white American, you know, with, with no real ethnicity to point to, no real cultural background to point to no traditions to point to and it, and it's like the more i research about those things the more i see value yeah. and the more that's the kind of thing i yearn for is some kind of commonality or some sort of uh deeper level connection yeah. and i feel like religion is kind of a key place that i can get that right and wh- where i've run into issue is I get to a point where it's like, I like Christian teachings. I'm cold, I, I would consider myself culturally Christian. My, fr- my friends are Christian. 
I read the Bible, and I can pull things from the Bible, but, but when I talk to people, I always hear that being Christian is all about giving, I guess, your all to Christ, giving it mm -hmm. all to God, and making sure, and accepting, I, I, I know it's loaded, but like accepting kind of everything. Right. And a problem that I've had with that, with, with rationalizing myself with this, is I see myself have disagreements, and then this is the thing that I kind of want, like deep down, genuinely, I want it. Right. Because I want I want that commonality, but I but I just disagree on so much. Right. And and so th I guess the question is like, what do I do if I want to like interface with this more, yeah. but it doesn't feel genuine. Right. It feels disingenuous for me to feel. It feels like I'm larping with with yeah. other Christians to kind of like get in with them. <laughs> so is it simply like a do or don't, and then if it's not for me, just learn to buck up and accept that it's not for me? Or is it just something I should stop worrying about? Or does the yearning for a commonality miss the whole religiosity entirely, and that's what makes it a lot? Right. Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, and I, and I, I'm actually struggling because I actually have like three different answers <laughs> that I, that I want to give. Um, they're not contradictory, but I think they answer it in different ways. Um, the, the first one is, uh, kind of from the historical perspective, I, I'm, I think I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try to go from my most shallow of my three answers to my most, I think, meaningful of the three. First one is just from a historical sp perspective, you're not alone. Um, and that's okay. Uh, I actually, I had a professor, uh, who tried to explain what happened at the Protestant Reformation. And he said, he, he basically gave this analogy. He said, okay, Martin Luther came along. If you picture Christendom like 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 a like a nightstand next to a bed, Martin Luther came along. He opened he opened the drawer, and he said, "Oh, there's a whole bunch of Roman Catholic stuff in here, but I like a lot of it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna take out a couple of these things, but I'm gonna leave most of it there, and I'm gonna close it, and I'm gonna live with it." Right? John Calvin and some of the other reformers came along. They opened the door. They're like, "Oh, there's a bunch of Catholic stuff. I'm gonna dump it all on the bed." But I'm going to keep some of the stuff, put it back in the drawer and put it back in. And that's going to be the Christian that I live with. The Anabaptists came along. They took the drawer. They dumped it out on the bed. They dumped gasoline all over the house and lit the entire house on fire. Right. So there, there's kind of these three different ways that you can deal with uh, Christendom. Right. Uh, in the pursuit of advancing Christianity. Right? Those are two very different things. And I think part of what you're struggling with is that, that how, how much of Christendom do I have to just kind of bite the bullet and go along with in order to be part of Christianity as a religion? Um, I can't get yeah, an answer. I think that's a perfect way to put that. I can't answer that for you because all of us are going to engage in that different ways. That's going to look different ways geographically, right? So that's going to look differently where I'm at in Southern California to where someone's at in Louisiana to where someone's at in New York, um, right? That, that's going to look differently. Um, but you're going to have, you're, you are going to have to do that. I'm going to say that I really, really resonate with, with you. I think, um, not to sound too postmodern, I resonate with you, you know, uh, where I think a lot of what just passes for Christian Christendom today is just terrible. <laughs> Right. It just feels so shallow and superficial. And a lot of times I look at it, and I'm like, oh, like in, in some ways it's trying to kind of 
on the exterior look very Christian, but in some very deep ways, it's very, very unchristian. <laughs> Um, I, in, in, in very, very deep, troubling ways um, that I don't even think lots of people like to talk about. Um, so I'm with you on that. Um, the, the other, uh, kind of a second answer I would give is somewhat Pascalian. Um, Pascal's wager, when used as an argument for God, I think is terrible. I would agree. I think that's pretty ridiculous. Um, I think the point of Pascal's wager, Peter Kreeft makes this point, that Pascal's wager is like a wedding proposal, right? It's not meant to make you believe in God, right? It's meant for someone maybe like where you're at, where you're like, hey, like, I think I think this Christianity thing might be true, but I don't like some of the, I, I don't exactly know where it's going to go, but I... But, so maybe I want to go the, I, I don't, right? You're, you're kind of on this cusp where you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Peter Kreef makes this point. It's like a wedding proposal. You don't know what's going to happen in the marriage. You don't know what's going to happen in the relationship, right? But a wedding proposal is going to have to get a yes or a no. It's going to have to get an upvote or a downvote, right? You, you, you're going to, you kind of, you kind of have to commit to a direction or, or not. Um, and here, I think, is where the biblical understanding of faith comes in. I don't, th- I, I don't agree with you know the Aaron Ross and the Matt Delantes where f- faith is belief without evidence and all that kind of stuff. It has nothing to do with that. Biblical faith is volitional. Biblical faith is this idea of I'm going to commit my trust in a certain, and I'm going to start walking in a certain direction. That's faith, right? It, it, you can't having you. The, cl- the close example to faith is we give it as like you get married. You don't halfway get married. You can't kind of get married. You can't sort of get me. You get married or you don't get married. Uh, right. If you have faith in an airplane, you board the airplane. You 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 board or you don't board. Right. And so so you, this th- that's, I think, the biblical concept of faith where you say, you know what, I'm I'm going to I'm going to start walking in this Christian direction or I'm not. And I and I don't mean that as kind of you know a, a a good or a bad. I think obviously one of them is good, but but I mean that there is a certain idea where you're going to walk that way, um, and and that's okay, right? Um, and that's where I would say you you do do kind of a Pascalian. What's you know I, that's the way where where God promises life, and I don't have a promise of life in the other direction. Right. And so so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to commit my sales and I'm going to set sail in that direction. Um, and, and I'm going to commit to walking with Christ down this road, um, at, you know, as, as, as far as it can go. And, and as long as Christ can be found. Right. That, that's the direction that I'm that I'm going to go. And I think that that that's a meaningful way. I don't think it's LARPing. I don't think it's fake. I think you can be entirely transparent. Um, you can be entirely, you know, if, if you're going to a good and healthy church and you're talking to people about where you're at and you're saying, you look, I, you know, this whole prayer thing. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I did this when I first became a Christian. I was like, hey, you know, I, I understand the Christian message. I trust Jesus Christ. I feel like I'm praying. I, I feel like I'm literally talking to a wall. Right. <laughs> I, I don't understand why we pray. Um, that, was, that, was, that was a long time of my early Christian experience, to be honest. It felt very weird to pray because I didn't grow up doing it. It's weird. It's we just. Christians don't realize, especially if they grow up in the church, they have some other struggles that they understand. They don't understand how weird some of the Christian disciplines feel if you weren't raised that way. 
Um, and, and, and so, uh, and so that just be honest and transparent. It's not LARPing. Be, be honest where you're at in your journey and that's okay. That's my second answer. My final answer is I think the most important one, um, which, which really is that you can be culturally a Christian, but when you are walking with Christ, there is a very meaningful sense where you are saying, um, I can't do this on my, I can't do this. I can't do it in my own power. I can't do it in my own righteousness. I can't, I can't do it by, by my own understanding, right? I can't come out of hiding on my own. Um, I understand that, that, that God is my creator, that God is my redeemer, that my redeemer lives, right? I think that when you're asking, you know, uh, when, 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 when Christians say, you know, God is everything, I have to commit everything my whole life, right? There's a, ver- there's, there's a way that that can be said that can be very taxing and very unhuman because it says, I'm going to give up my identity, um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just be this like subservient lump of clay, right? I think that's a distortion of actually the Christian message. Um, while it's entirely true that I give up my identity and I am a lump of clay and I'm subservient to God in all things, entirely true. What's missing is the context that the identity I'm giving up is my identity apart from Christ, right? It's I'm actually taking on my real identity, right? I'm, I'm giving up this, this, this superficial, um, very limited understanding of myself. I'm giving that up, but I'm taking on a much more meaningful and robust and deep identity of who I am in Christ in God, where before I was this hiding sinful Adam in the garden, but now I am this cherished and loved and adopted child of God in the courts of heaven, right? I'm giving up my identity of Joseph in Potiphar's house and I'm taking on my identity as Joseph, the second only to the king, adopted into the household uh, of, of the high king, right? So, so I would say that, 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 that there, is this, there is this sense where we are giving up this stuff, but it's not this like crass kind of um, shriveled worm understanding of giving up my identity where I'm a worm, I'm nothing, God is great. That's kind of true on one level, but it, there's a much more meaningful level where God is great and I'm nothing in comparison, but how beautiful is it that that God has created me to to be loved and to love him and to be adopted as a son and a daughter in the courtroom of heaven. Does that make sense? Does that kind of fill out? Yeah, that for sure. I, I think that definitely helps. And I think you made some good points about that. Okay. I'd say, I think the ultimate kind of um, takeaway that, that I got at least is that it's okay to, I guess, start the path, if that's what you want to call it. And yeah. then like, 
figure it out from there. You know. Yeah, I th- I I think that any 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 if you're at a church that makes you feel like you have to have it all figured out right now, I, I, honestly, like you know, God love them, but it, you know, go somewhere else. <laughs> Go, well, look, you know, go somewhere like, I, I can talk more specifically about my scenario. Right. Is like, I, like I'm not pressured into that at all. Okay. But I'm, but I am kind of like, it's implied that like that's the future. You know what I mean? Like, like this yeah. is the goal that we're working for. And I mean, I I don't have an issue that that's the goal. I my only hang up was like, is it? I don't want to be disingenuous to myself. By by just like going with it, right? You know what I mean. But yeah. I, I think you've made some good points about that. Yeah, I think I think there's you know where where Paul says you know to to live as Christ to die as gain, right? There there's a certain aspect where where we want to hold on to our personal identity, and when we hear we have to give up our identity and we have to you know have our identity in Christ, what that sounds like is I need to stop being who I am, right, to the core of my being. What really happens in actual fact, it's not that suddenly you have to give up your personality and your memories and your life and your family and all that kind of stuff. What what actually changes is who you are with respect to God and respect to others, right? You'll, you'll find it's actually, it's, it's, you're giving up kind of a lower order version of yourself for a higher order version of yourself, if that makes sense, right? So, so, we, and 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 the only thing I can say is you'll find that out as you walk, right? It sounds scary, like if someone's like, "Hey, so like twenty miles down the road um, is this checkpoint, and you're going to have to give up your identity," right? That sounds scary because it sounds like you're going to have to like not even be any, you know, who you are, right? In some ways, that's true, but I think as you walk and you get closer to that 20-mile marker and you see who you are in Christ and you see what Christ has done for you and what the church is and, and what that means to give up your identity, means to be really be shifting your priorities and who you are in Christ and that proper alignment, by the time you get to that mile marker, that 20-mile marker, you'll be like, oh, like, yeah, obvious, this totally, this makes sense. I totally understand. Right. So, so, you know, I, I would just say like, Hey, like, yeah, man, you're starting a journey. Like it's, it's not all going to make sense, but, but you know, it, 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 it is good. You're, you're going somewhere beautiful uh, and, and, and wonderful. I don't expect to have it all figured out, man. <laughs> you'll, you'll be good. You'll be good. Yeah, that, uh, but, that definitely makes sense. but, but, you know, that, but, but that, that important first question is, you know, have you, have you trusted in Christ? Have you, have you said, you know what? Like, I, I understand, I, I don't have it all figured out, but I understand that, that in Christ, God loves me and, and in Christ, my sins have been forgiven and in Christ, I'm, a, I'm adopted and loved by God. And with, if you're within that context, the walk makes sense, right? If you're not within that context, the walk might not make sense. Yeah, well, that helps a lot. I definitely have a lot to consider regarding that. But thank you very much. Absolutely. I'll uh, I'll hop out. Have a good night. Uh, well, I, I gotta actually um, uh, head out here, um, but uh, I was hoping. Um, 
I don't I don't see. I, I, there, there's someone there's someone I saw in here earlier who uh, who I knew would be uh, good 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 to pray uh, for 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 those who have been here. But um, uh, I you know I've written I've written down most of your names. Uh, I'm happy to, uh, to 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 continue to pray for pray for you all. Um, to to uh, you know as these questions have come up. Um, and if you have any questions, definitely definitely reach out. Um, looks like Minute Militia is back in. Yeah, I just got called in. I don't know why. I didn't know if there was a question for yeah, me or something. Yeah, I did call you back in because I saw your hand up earlier. Yeah, just... but the, the question got answered. I'm all good, man. I appreciate it. Oh, good. All right. Well, uh, well, thank you again uh, for joining everyone. I know it's kind of last minute. I'm hoping to do some more of these uh, later on. Um, if you're if you're listening to this or you're you know viewing this later on on YouTube, um, if you have any uh, any questions, comments, concerns, commendations, or condemnations. Please feel free to, to, to reach out to me. You can find me. Uh, you can email uh, freedthinkerpodcast at gmail.com. You can find the blog, freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com, or you can come by the Freedthinker group page on uh, Facebook. Uh, there's a Freedthinker podcast in pretty much anywhere where you're going to find uh, podcasting materials uh, or the Freedthinker uh, on YouTube. So uh, that's all that I had for tonight. Thank you all for, for coming in, and we'll try to do another one another time. Thank you all. I think uh, if we bring you in next time, we could like do non-believers only and make it a little bit more spicy. <laughs> <laughs> it could be, it could be a little more spicy, but you know, uh, in in God's providence, this was this was very ministerial. I think um, so. I, 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 I appreciate there was a lot of really good questions that that we don't get asked very often, um, and so I, I I appreciate that very much, and I know that it gave me a lot to think about and and pray about as I go. So I, I appreciate the opportunity here. That's what I'm about, brother. Thanks. Have a good night. God bless you, man. God bless.